This is episode 22 of Alohomora for February 10th, 2013. Hello, everyone. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest today is actually two special guests. Uh, it's Alex and Laura from the Late Night Lowdown. Hello, ladies. Um, introduce yourselves to the fans. Hi, everybody. My name's Alex. And I'm Laura. And we are both um, third-year university students in Toronto, Canada. We study radio and television. And we're from the YouTube channel, The Late Night Lowdown. We do a lot of uh, video blogs on Harry Potter-related stuff and uh, our adventures as students and girls living in the big city of Toronto. Yeah, you guys are hilarious. Um, I found you when we featured one of your videos on MuggleNet. That was great. Yeah, that was really exciting for us. We were actually in lecture when we discovered we were on the MuggleNet site, <laughs> and we kind of disrupted the professor a little bit. <laughs> Which, uh, which which video was that? Uh, we reviewed the Harry Potter Should Have Died MuggleNet book, and we just talked about our opinions um, on each of the issues. Oh, okay, Pretty sure you're up. the one that posted that, Noah. That was, When was that? Was that a while ago? It was a while ago. Yeah. It was before yeah. the new year. Well, yeah. uh, if you could just brief the audience, what was your? how did you feel about that book? I got the book... Um, Oh my gosh, when did I get it? It was a few summers ago, and I absolutely loved it. It was actually before I had met Alex, and then um, when we both realized we were obsessed with Harry Potter, we kind of went through it together and discussed our own um, issues with the with um, with the ideas in it. And I thought it was a really good read. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. I definitely recommend it to big uh, Potter fans because it really does raise some of the issues like should Harry sh- should have died? And I say yes. Laura says no. <laughs> it's a great book. So definitely check it yeah. out, fans out there. Just to, just to give the fans some context, that book was actually written, I believe, by MuggleNet's Emerson Sparts and Ben Shane. Yeah. Yep. Back in the day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they also, um, before Deathly Hallows came out, they wrote What Will Happen in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Um, so if you haven't checked out one of the books or both, you should totally do that. Oh, good morning, you two. What are you up to? Hey, Harry. Good morning. I found this wireless sitting here in the common room. We can't decide what to listen to, though. Uh, well, have you two heard of Alahamora? They always come up with interesting new ideas and theories about the Wizarding World and invite their listeners to participate in the discussion on and off the air. They even talk about things we do here at Hogwarts, like magical creatures, wizarding history, divination... No. Yes, me... I mean... What? No, 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 they don't talk about me. Not a lot. Well, I've really been enjoying MuggleNet Academia. The show goes into an in-depth analysis of the Wizarding World and what impact it's made on Muggle culture. They invite guest speakers and students on every episode to discuss classic and modern works of Muggle literature and further examine why the Wizarding World, as Muggles know it, has made such an impact on them. Well, we have the day off, so I want to listen to audio fictions. Mermuggle readers tell new stories written by muggles. I love hearing what the muggles think about us. Not only that, but listeners can request which stories they like to hear and participate in contests to have their own stories read. I've even heard a few stories about the three of us. Well, these are all great suggestions, but which one should we listen to? Chosen one gets first dibs. Hey, I found the wireless. I get to choose. You two have homework to do. I'm done. So we should listen to my show. It's Saturday. I don't want Just to listen to the weekend. Good morning, you three. Uh, 
What are you doing with my wireless? Neville, this is your wireless? Yes, I've been looking for it everywhere. I don't want to miss Mugglecast. They're always up on the latest wizarding news. Oh, well, we were hoping to listen to Alahamora. MuggleNet Academia! Audio fictions! Oh, sorry. But you three know you can just download those shows to listen to whenever you want, right? Anyway, thanks for finding my wireless. The magic lives on with MuggleNet's new podcast family. Open the Dumbledore with Alohomora. Dive deep into the literature of Harry Potter with MuggleNet Academia. Live beyond the books with audio fictions. Get the latest news and excitement from MuggleCast. Find every member of the MuggleNet podcast family on iTunes to subscribe and download the latest episodes today. With hundreds of episodes available, the choice is up to you. Hey, you three. Mom just sent her old wireless over to me. Isn't it great? Well, anyway, before we continue on with the episode, I'd just like to remind all of the fans that we're going to be analyzing chapters 5 and 6 of Prisoner of Azkaban today, and for maximum satisfaction of the episode, we suggest reading the chapters before listening to this episode of Alohomora. So... Break out your books, get some notes down, and, you know, join some commenters in the forums after the show. Yeah, we know it's really hard to stop reading because we all love Harry Potter, but if you only read the two chapters that we're analyzing that week, it actually maximizes um, the benefits that you'll get from listening to the podcast and visiting the forums and such. So it helps you focus on those two chapters alone and not the whole book. Yep, and uh, we'll be sending you guys some reminders over social media too, so... Everyone should be on the same page. So we're going to jump right into our comments from our chapters uh, last week, which was chapters three and four. Our first comment comes from the forums from Lady Spade, and it's regarding Dumbledore and the Dursleys. It says, I'd like to point out that Dumbledore has a tendency to set things in motion several steps before the result is needed. I think that Dumbledore placing Harry in a verbally slash emotionally slash mentally abused household was deliberate. I believe that by having Harry become broken and then form a huge attachment to the wizarding world, he's more driven to save it, if not for the sake of that world, than for the sake of the lives of his friends. I just thought this was an interesting um, comment in, you know, in the light of all of the abuse stuff that we're not going to be talking today. Um, it's just interesting to see kind of the workings that happen behind the scenes of all of the stuff that we see. So thinking about Dumbledore's kind of knowledge of Harry's childhood that he does definitely seem to have. Um, it does make you question his motives a little bit. Yeah, and this certainly isn't the first time that it's been brought up that Dumbledore is kind of the orchestrator of Harry's life. He's the conductor standing in front of it, making everything happen. So very true. Yeah, but but you know, on the same point, how can you still do that to a to a child of one, um, knowing pretty much, or at least having a pretty good idea of what's going to happen? Unless we think that Dumbledore maybe didn't know the extent to which the Dursleys would treat him poorly. I feel like the outcome of saving Harry's life is, and this is going to be awful, but probably worth a little bit of him getting yelled at. Like if it's going to save his life and make him a stronger person. I feel like that outweighs the the yeah. negatives of being with the Dursleys. And I suppose that, I suppose in book six, he does kind of come pretty hard on them when he actually comes to the house, um, saying, you know, pretty much that this was not what I intended necessarily. You guys completely suck at life. Suck at life. Yeah. You underperformed. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dumbledore pulling string, pulling strings for the greater good. 
Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I, like, personally, I always want to believe the best in Dumbledore. And, like, in after Sirius dies in the fifth book, he says that he loved Harry, and that's why he didn't tell him everything right away, and it was out of love. So I can't imagine someone who does feel this enormous affection, almost treats Harry like a son, would purposely put him in an abusive environment, especially since when he does talk to the Dursleys and says that they, you know, suck at life, he's obviously <laughs> surprised by that and uh i don't think he did it on purpose to like build character for harry or anything like that because dumbledore's not that kind of guy without getting in back into the abuse um discussion where do you guys stand on that issue Uh, i know it's hard to comment on it without getting back into it but you know what i mean yeah definitely you can (laughs) (laughs) just a a yes uh, I'm just looking for a short answer, I guess. Uh, well, I guess to sum it up quickly, I don't think that Harry was physically abused. I think it was just oh, okay. a lot of kind of mental stuff. Okay. Um, I think it's hard to say. I mean, Vernon's pretty uh, <laughs> verbal with his physical threats, and I, I think he mm. was physically abused, and, but mostly mental. Like, that is a mental circus over at Privet Drive, and I'm surprised <laughs> he came out, you know, as well as he did. Yeah. But I think, um, I mean, when I was listening to you guys, like, last week, I mean, I found myself jumping from each side, but I'm going to conclude yeah. that I feel he was not physically abused. So s- still split right down the middle as we are. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like. <laughs> well, right. if I may, briefly. Um, very briefly, Very Noah. briefly. I was having a thought the other day about a kind of different discussion. Um, what about Vernon and Dudley's relationship? We know that Vernon and Petunia get um, Dudley lots of um, different treats and presents and stuff. But to what degree was he abused? I think there was a line in an earlier chapter where um, Vernon was hitting Dudley with, a, with some kind of stick. So maybe there's more physical abuse between Vernon and Dudley. Well, I mean, in that quote that I read on the last episode, Joe said that she sees Dudley as just as abused as Harry, but in a different kind of way. So, so yes, he's definitely um, physically abused, perhaps. Well, we do <laughs> see him get we do see him get hit upside the head a couple mistreated. times, mistreated. And yeah, I, more like mistreated. And we yeah, had a few comments that were saying that we we shouldn't be saying that physical abuse is worse than mental or um, kind of verbal abuse, and we're we're definitely not saying that um, either right. in our discussions. Right. Right. Agreed, just definitely not. Kind of pinpoint what actually happened. I but think- if we're sorry, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting that um, talking about Dudley's ab- abuse, um, I think that they really did more damage to him because he's totally crippled. He would not be able to survive on his own. Like, ra- I know in the future, Joe has said that he raises a family and whatnot, but I find that really hard to believe because he's never done anything for his own. So I think the Dursleys really would have crippled him into being, and he wouldn't be an independent being at all. Whereas Harry, even though he had much more mental and physical abuse than Dudley, I think they really did um, build him up to be an independent being because he didn't really have anyone to rely yeah. on. Yeah, Harry had to rely on his own, whereas Dudley was so sheltered. So right. growing up as adults, I think Harry would be a much more successful, independent adult running a household and having a career than Dudley would. Yeah, I agree. They definitely did Dudley a, a, a disservice, the way they treated him growing up, for mm-hmm. sure. Good. All right. So we're just we're gonna stop talking about it now while we have a while we have or a dead moment. We? And, <laughs> yes, we are, but, but it's still going on the forum. So head over there and jump into that debate because it's still there and it is still going strong. 
So the next comment is from the forums again from H.P. Allison, and it's about um, the Harry and Tom upbringing comparison we talked about last week. It says, if Dumbledore had known exactly what the Dursleys would be like, I think he would have been less likely to place Harry with them. Oh, this is about what I just ended the conversation. Okay. Anyway, so we'll just read this comment and then we'll end the discussion. (laughs) Okay. It was pure luck that Harry's reaction to the Dursleys' abuse was to become caring, empathetic, humble person. He easily could have become angry, mean, muggle-hating, and tempted by dark magic to make himself more powerful than the Dursleys. After all, Harry's childhood isn't that different from Voldemort's. If anything, Voldemort may have been better since the kids at the orphanage appeared to be well-tended. Both Harry and Voldemort came to Hogwarts broken and formed strong attachments to the magical world. Dumbledore couldn't have solidly predicted which way Harry would swing. Hmm. I, I think he could, though, because he knew their, his parents. Um, and Dumbledore seems to go on the idea that uh, whatever the parental love was, that kind of contributes to the child, both by nature and, and nurture to some degree, because Harry was raised by them for a year, and uh, maybe that was all it took. There was an interesting, right interesting comment somewhere on our site. I'm not. I can't remember who it was now. I'm very sorry that I can't name you. Um, but it said that there was the idea that Voldemort couldn't love because he was conceived under the power of a love potion rather than actual love. Right. Um, oh, I remember reading that comment. Yeah. yeah. So actually- that would be kind of an ultimate difference between Harry and Voldemort in the fact that Harry did have this loving parents for at least a year, whereas Voldemort never had a father figure. Um, and was kind of abandoned at birth. Well, not abandoned, but yeah. left alone and, at uh, birth when his mother died. And given those, I can't really hold him responsible personally. That's my personal view on it. Um, because he had such a bad startup, and especially if he's conceived on a love potion, that guy's not having a shot at anything. He's he's done. I, I don't know. I still think that the, the main theme of the story, that it's our choices, that, you know, there there are orphans out there, people who... I mean, I'm sure they weren't born under love potion, but there are orphans out there who have no parents and they grow up to be amazing people. So, But that probably is because they have amazing people in their lives. But even on that end, you know, Tom Riddle did not. He had Dumbledore, but who else really? Yeah, perhaps. I still think that he chose to be as awful as he was. But this is a great uh, philosophical out of, out of debate fear. of which there is no answer. Nature versus nurture cannot be yes. explained yet. <laughs> Thank you, Rosie. Yeah. Um, Wait, you don't think I, we're going to solve that on Alohomora? Yeah, we are. <laughs> I Fine. also think that, you know, as much as uh, after I read the uh, love potion under which Voldemort was conceived, and that's why he cannot love, um, I think that that holds true and even though i want to feel bad for the guy and be like you know he he could have loved like he made his choices but he was a negative hateful being from a small small child and obviously these people in the orphanage are not teaching negativity and to hate others they're obviously trying to teach like all the kids to be friends because the rest of the kids are friends you can see that on their field trips and stuff um so i think voldemort obviously had some kind of negative nature versus nurture already in him that he really couldn't fix because the orphanage leaders wouldn't be teaching him that he's doing it on his own and that's a like thing that's wrong inside of him do you guys get exactly. what i'm saying yes yeah, so absolutely let me, so let yeah. me extrapolate into a logic game and let me let me say let me see if you guys agree with my premises here let's let's argue here that voldemort because of his nature just his nature his his um his blood and parentage um 
it was going to give him a certain disposition in life. Are well, we wait, his nature, that? his blood, and his parentage are three totally different things. Okay, then how about just his nature? Just his his okay. his, um, his essence in a way. Okay. Um, that, that makes him kind of disposed to act a certain way, right? Yes. Okay. So, and also society, the way he was raised, um, the orphanage, and the certain events of his life, that also had an effect on him. And, That's natural, you know, yes. Yes. So... <laughs> In what way did is it is it possible then, because of these two influences working together, that he actually had no free choice to act any other way than he than that would have been good because he had the influences of both nature and nurture here? I still think that he didn't have to go as far as he did, and that was his choice. Completely. I'm not saying that he ever would have been a nice or a non evil person, but he did not have to go to the lengths that he did. Right, but what I'm saying is I don't think he was actually free to make that choice. I do. I do. I'm going to agree with Noah. Yeah, I agree with Noah, too. You don't think that there's any way that he couldn't have become the awful, like, evil lord that he is? No, because I feel like um, he was, like what Alex was saying before, he was brought up as, like, this negative person that when it came to him using magic in any way, shape, or form, he just went, like, the dark route, and he there was, like, no way out. Yeah, I but think- isn't there a difference between being, like, just kind of rude and evil and awful as opposed to being, like, a dictator? I think if someone had noticed when he was in the orphanage, I mean, the the people who ran the orphanage noticed that he was doing kind of bad things with kids, but they couldn't stop it because they didn't understand it because it was magical. If Voldemort had been, or if Tom had been raised in a magical community that could have noticed <coughs> these kind of negative actions going on and could have appropriately stopped them and kind of rehabilit- rehabilitated him, then he may have had a different chance in life. I agree. I agree. If he had better, um, if he was someone was helping him out in those early days or he had better people to look up to, that could have changed everything. But because he did not have that and because he was predisposed by his nature, he could not have acted any other way than he did. Hmm. Yeah, we completely agree. <laughs> We're just sitting here nodding right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Yay. They can't see you nodding. Just so you know. <laughs> can we get? Can we get a? I need a cheer sound. Um, whoever's editing this episode, please put a cheer sound. Okay, you didn't win. <laughs> yeah, the children. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. So our next comment uh, comes from Allie Wood, and it's on our ugly versus evil uh, debate. It says something in the discussion about the ugly equals evil debate reminded me of this quote from Road Dahl. If you have good thoughts, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you will always look lovely. Hmm. That's from the twits, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's what I was talking about last week. That kind of idea that it in a lot of children's literature, good and evil is all about kind of expressing the inside through your looks. So if you are good and you have good thoughts, then, you know, your face will shine like sunbeams and you will look lovely. If you are evil, then unfortunately you turn out to be Mrs. Twit. <laughs> yeah, and at first when I when we were talking about this ugly evil thing, I was connecting it to maybe sort of, I, you know, I'm an American and I grew up with certain uh, influences and I'm sure it's in every society, but we have Barbie dolls and, you know, women are told to look like Barbie dolls. So I, I interpreted Harry Potter in this as you want to look good because then you can be a hero character. Um, but now yeah, that I'm, but the, but sorry. wait, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking kind of what I said back. I'm saying, all right, this is saying if you are good on the inside, you have these good thoughts. It shines out, not the other way around. Um, so I actually, I actually 
this is okay. I agree with this. You know, the ugly versus evil thing in the Harry Potter is not a big problem for me anymore. Wow, you changed to Noah's mind. That doesn't happen often. <laughs> it did. So our next comment from comes from Tweak6, and it's regarding stereotyping. It says, I would argue that Joe actually uses stereotypes in the opposite way to many other writers. Yes, she builds the stereotypes based on appearance in the first few books in order to easily characterize the people in her world for young readers and to create that theme of good versus evil simply. But then she very deliberately flips on all of this, flips all of this on its head in the later books. We learn more of Tom Riddle's charisma, or at least there is much more emphasis put on it. We see that Snape is not entirely evil and that Dumbledore was not entirely good. Joe builds the stereotypes for the very purpose of demolishing them and showing the lack of simplistic black and white in the world. Well put. I agree. <laughs> That's a very good comment. It's so good that we have nothing to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I completely agree. There's nothing to really critique about it. She, Whoever wrote that put it well. Applause. <laughs> <laughs> So our next comment comes from Dream Quaffle, and it's about pets at Hogwarts. It says, in chapter four, we visit the magical menagerie and are exposed to a wide variety of fascinating magical creatures. All of the different creatures described in this chapter get me thinking, why is it only owls, cats, and toads are allowed at Hogwarts? For that matter, since the letter sent to Harry in Philosopher's Stone specifies that you may bring an owl, a cat, or a toad if you wish, why is Ron allowed to bring scabbers in the first place? We also see later in Half-Blood Prince that Ginny brings a pygmy puff named Arnold and brings it to Hogwarts with her as well. Is it possible that these two creatures are so small that the teachers at Hogwarts simply don't notice that they're being brought in? Or do they just not care? I don't think they I, care. I always wondered about that with the um, with Scabbers. Like, did nobody notice that he was bringing a rat in the building? <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't a problem because it was Percy's rat before Ron's, and Percy got made a prefect and head boy, so yeah. obviously it didn't go on his record. <laughs> do, you, do you think that was an afterthought on Joe's part? Because um, when do we first see Scabbers? We do see him in the first book. Um, yeah, he must be. Yeah, because he's uh, turned the stupid fat rat yellow on the train right. very first time he re meets Harry. I think it must be because um, owls, toads, and uh, what's the third? Somebody save me. Cats. Cats. cats have some essential uh, magical quality to them, and that's why they're, they're best suited. But maybe the Weasleys couldn't necessarily afford, um, you know, those kind of animals. So, you know, maybe... Owls, cats, and toads are traditionally witches' items, whereas rats may, may not be. Right. They might be unmagical, and maybe they, the Weasleys made a deal with Dumbledore. You know, let let, it, let my kid use the rat. Can't afford that. <laughs> I'm thinking that owls, cats, and toads is kind of a traditional list from early days of Hogwarts, because um, we know that toads are now unfashionable um, in the Wizarding World, so maybe they just haven't updated the letter since they allowed other pets to come as well. That's true. That's very possible. And maybe that's just uh, a guideline for sizing, like yeah. for pets, like oh. no bigger than an owl. Because you can't really bring like a lion or something. <laughs> oh my god, that would be that would be amazing. <laughs> I know who would want that if they were here. That would be Caleb. <laughs> what if Seamus just came to Transfiguration class like, I've got a lion. <laughs> Dump it on the desk. I'm not going to turn it into a goblet. I'm going to turn it into a. He would blow it up. That That's a disaster lion. waiting to happen. Within yeah. within that original comment though, uh, Dream Quaffle goes on to say that um, Lavender's rabbit that we see gets killed um, in um, 
a, a few chapters away, I think it is. I think it's this book. Might be the next one. Um, it's this book. Yeah. Um, it, she, they were asking that if the rabbit had been allowed at Hogwarts, would it still be alive? And therefore, would the prophecy kind of not have come true? Um, so yeah, why wouldn't rabbits be allowed? Especially if you're putting a rabbit out of a hat. That seems very magical to me. I just got to back up for a second. A rabbit died in this book? Yeah, yeah. Yes, we'll get there, Noah. Gets killed by a fox. Ahead. That's yep. animal abuse, guys. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Noah, read the books. How do you not know this? That's why, that's why rabbits aren't allowed at Hogwarts, because they're not clever enough to get out of the way of these magical scenarios. Yeah, but you know what? It Owls was killed by a fox. Either. That's not magical. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our very last comment from last week comes from Cat Oak one two three Cat with a C, not a K. Just saying, and it's about head boys. It says, "I find it interesting that you guys mostly seem to assume that you have to be a prefect to put you in the running for head boyship. I guess this is taken from our Muggle experience, where this is most certainly usually the case. However, I remember James Potter. He was head boy. Remember Hagrid saying, "Your mum and dad were as good as a witch and wizard as I ever knew. Head boy and girl at Hogwarts in their day." But if you remember, in Order of the Phoenix. When Ron and Hermione get their prefect badges, there is that discussion at the party in Grimmauld Place about who among the order became prefects in their day, and Sirius laughs and says that he and James spent too much time in detention to become prefects, and that Lupin was the good boy. He got the badge. Yep. I got stumped. I feel like this is continuity problems. A bit like that. Quite honestly. Um, I don't want to blame it on Joe. But I'm gonna blame it on Joe. I mean, it it does seem that there are mostly continuity things around James, like the whole was he a chaser or a seeker discussion as well. Right. Um, it could be just another one of those. But is that messed up in the books, or is that only messed up in the movies? And I think that's probably books? movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's a book to movie conversion thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that wouldn't be Joe's fault. Um, but it, well, I think it, it's book to it. movies because James is a chaser, right? Not a seeker. Correct. In the books, but we see him playing with a snitch Correct. later on, so that's where the the tension lies. Right. right. However, on the question of do you have to be a prefect before you can become a head boy or girl? What do you what do we say? I think you do. Quite honestly, I I feel like um. So when that was in Order of the Phoenix that he says that they were head girl and boy. I think so. I don't. I don't know. I no. I'd agree. I mean that that makes more sense to me. Um, let's blame yeah. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like, it's just surprising me that James would be made head boy at all with his track record. Like, that seems right? like quite a character flaw error. It'd be like making Fred Weasley head boy. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, he doesn't he doesn't turn a page just because he's dating Lily. Like, I'm sure I he would tone it down a bit. I think we are supposed to assume that, though. Yeah, like, we, we see James last in... Fifth year, right? They're si- they're sitting there owls, so we don't see mm-hmm. him in sixth and seventh, um, which is kind of around the time that he's supposed to start dating Lily. And the idea is that he is meant to have kind of become more mature; otherwise, Lily would never have gotten together with him. Um, so maybe it's having saved Snape's life and things um, during that incident um, that we will find out about in later in this book. Um, Maybe right. that kind of shock actually makes him become more mature and realize that his actions have more consequences and therefore becomes head boy. Let's I've hope a, so. I have another thought related to it. Um, isn't it true that the only evidence we have that James and Lily were head boy and girl is from Hagrid? Yep. 
So remember, Hagrid is an unreliable character. He, he doesn't even spend too much time on in actual in the actual castle. He's kind of hanging out in the hut at this point. So is it possible that Hagrid that. is either is Hagrid confused or did he lie to Harry? I think Hagrid is always confused. I'm just saying. Okay, so I don't know if I necessarily trust Hagrid here. Maybe Hagrid thought that they were head boy and girl, but actually they were just the only people who came to hang out with him from Hogwarts. Okay, but would Joanne make her readers assume that? They were like, I'm going to write it down, but don't believe it. I like how you went all formal and called her Joanne. <laughs> I, I call her Joanne in our YouTube videos all the time. I don't know why. Well, Joanne's got to, you have to come clear on this if you're listening to the episode. <laughs> just just write in the forums. The, it's lohamora.mugglenet.com. She, she just put it out on Pottermore. That way we know she's listening. You know. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, it's an interesting discussion, but we n- don't necessarily have an answer for it. <laughs> okay, we'll now move on to discussing the special feature from last week, which was a what-if special feature. Um, we asked three questions, and you guys didn't really tell us any answers, unfortunately, but you did ask some of your own. Um, so to start with, we did have one question, which was, what if Harry had gone to an orphanage rather than the Dursleys? Um, and there is a great response to that on the archives from Forks Fan, which says, I think Harry would have turned out just the same if he had gone to a muggle orphanage. No one would have known who he was, so he wouldn't have gotten a big ego like Dumbledore feared. feared. Um, in fact, I think it would have been better if he had gone to an orphanage because Harry wouldn't have been locked in a cupboard or been abused mentally and verbally. He would have gotten three meals a day, probably would have had some friends. I think Harry's childhood would have been a lot happier which is what he deserved, and he would still have turned out to be the humble and brave Harry we all love. Do you guys agree? Hmm. In theory, I agree with that comment, but not in actuality. I think despite what we see, what little we see of the orphanage that Tom was at, um, we don't know that the orphanage Harry would have gone to would have been like that one. And not being an orphan myself and never being to an orphanage, totally playing into the stereotype of what I think of when I think of an orphanage. I don't know if Harry would have turned out all that happy, quite honestly. But wasn't originally Harry sent to Privet Drive because of the protection from Lily? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was. So he would have never gone to an orphanage. And if he went to an orphanage, there'd be no protection there unless... I guess there are special circumstances, but I think part of the appeal of going to the Dursleys was this protection. Yeah, he would have been in much more danger from kind of surviving Death Eaters and things. Right, and I guess that's kind of what I was saying before, that it, it's better for him to be in a home where they don't love him or appreciate him than to be dead. Yes, pretty right. much. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, Wise Old Baker asks, um, what if Harry wasn't forgiven for blowing up Marge? It has to be a big deal because I do believe it was used against him in Order of the Phoenix. And iProud Hufflepuff1 responds to this on the forum saying, I just don't really see how they wouldn't forgive him for blowing up Marge. It is known in the wizarding community that accidental magic happens, especially at a young age. I'm sure if it really did come into question with the Ministry of Magic to expel Harry, Dumbledore would have intervened like he did in Order of the Phoenix. He would have listened to Harry's reasoning or reasons for losing control and believed him. And there's also the honest fact that he is Harry Potter, the boy who lived. They wouldn't be so quick to expel the boy who banished the Dark Lord. The only reason it was in question in Order of the Phoenix was because Fudge was so adamant about believing that Voldemort wasn't back because he didn't want the Wizarding World to panic. And I That's true. agree with that. Yeah, I feel like the timing of the blowing up on Marge was 
everything because if it had happened even one year later, I'm not sure he would have gotten the same uh, treatment, mm-hmm. quite honestly, because, yes, part of the reason, um, you know, he he was not expelled is because of the whole serious black thing and because it was the boy who lived. But the Ministry of Magic's um, kind of perspective on Harry changes a lot in yeah. a very short time. Yeah, when he is almost a- expelled, it's because they're trying to discredit him. Exactly. Isn't it possible at this point, too, that uh, Fudge wants to protect Harry and maybe feels that he'd be safer at Hogwarts? Oh, absolutely. I think that's exactly why he did what he did. Yeah. Fudge cares, too. (laughs) Well, he cares now. He doesn't care a few years later. No. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. And H.P. Allison, again, asks, what if Lupin had told Dumbledore earlier in the year that Sirius was an animagus? Would Sirius have been caught and tossed to the Dementors? Or would Sirius have been able to tell Dumbledore the truth in time for all of... Uh, for them all, sorry, to go after Scabbers slash Peter. That's such a good question. It's a very good question. And we've got an answer from Centaur Seeker 121. And it says, I think that if Remus had told Dumbledore earlier in the year that Sirius was an Animagus, then it probably would not have taken Dumbledore too long to figure out that James and Peter were as well. I feel like Dumbledore would have been able to come to the right conclusion much faster, meaning that it was Peter and not Sirius, and that Sirius would have been able to be pardoned. Yeah, I agree with that. That's possible. I mean, does uh, Lupin never says anything to Dumbledore the entire time? No, how stupid is that? Yeah. Especially I think he doesn't want to get his friends in trouble, but they're already yeah, dead. Yeah, I think, I think it goes back to just, yeah, that worried about getting in trouble because technically they are unregistered with the ministry. And I'm sure they all had a pact like, and we'll never tell anyone about this. <laughs> but it is so ridiculous I, if you think about it because two of them are already supposedly dead and the other one is a wanted criminal. <laughs> Right, but to be fair, Lupin all thought Sirius was guilty that whole time, and so you know maybe he was just—I don't know. That's a good point, though. He probably should have just been a good guy and told, told Dumbledore, <laughs> especially if he was the last one surviving to try and protect Harry. You would have thought he would have said something, though. Done everything. He would have been made public, and then he would have lost his role at Hogwarts completely. Yeah, I guess. So was he just watching out for himself by not saying anything? Hmm. In a way. Interesting. I mean, that doesn't seem like Lupin to me, but yeah, it's maybe. Putting putting Harry's life at risk just for his own, uh, his tenure? I guess it's the same kind <laughs> of Lupin that, it's the same Lupin that we see when he runs away from Tonks when she's pregnant. It is, right. That's very true. What house is Lupin in? Do we know? Gryffindor. He was a Gryffindor, right? Yeah. yeah. They all of course. Work. Hmm. Do we think he fits that house? He's a pretty brave guy. Maybe um, we should discuss it another time when we get more information on Lupin. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hopefully coming up on Pottermore, please. <laughs> Joanne, come on. Yeah, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> Joanne, we calling you out. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Noah. Take it. Okay. So here's uh, here are some responses to the posed question of the week from last week. I'm going to read it again just so that we all get clear on it. We know that Dementors make you dwell on your deepest, darkest thoughts, and that makes them useful tools of torture in the wizard world prison, Azkaban. They also disincentivize no good magic folk to commit crimes by instilling fear. But what if, hypothetically, Dementors were changed, and they made victims feel uncontrollable bliss, or relive happy memories, um, instead of making them relive their worst, um, their worst, saddest moments, you know? Do you think this would function better for the prison, i.e. less breakouts? Are there any ethical concerns with Dementors being changed in this way? And which would you prefer if happiness was used as a tool um, 
instead of using sadness and fear with the Dementors. So that's a pretty complex question. Rosie, I think you really, uh, you gave that to me for the last episode, if I may. If I, may I believe that that was Eric. It was Eric. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, forget it, Rosie. It was Eric. Uh, thank you, Eric, if you're, if you're listening. But uh, we have one comment from Dream Quaffle, which is a very cool name. I think most people would much rather be forced to relive their happiest memories than their worst, but as far as the inhabitants of Azkaban are concerned, I don't think it would work very well. If the Dementors were reversed, a witcher wizard is sent to Azkaban to be punished for their crimes, not go on a vacation. What kind of message does it send about the magical judicial system if all you get for using an unforgivable curse is a sentence of sitting in a cell and only being able to think about things that make you happy? It almost provides an incentive to become a criminal. Well... <laughs> I don't know about that. Has anyone ever read 1984? Oh, God. A really long time ago, but I did read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. So they, uh, they definitely employ torture there, and that becomes uh, a way or an incentive not to commit crimes. But in a way, if you're reliving happy moments forever, you are trapped within your own mind, and you can't actually go out there and be a person. So I don't know if that's really a, a fun time dream quaffle. Um, what do you guys think? I think that, you know, um, in Half-Blood Prince, when they talk about an overdose of Felix Felicis and how it would um, have symptoms of uh, overconfidence and extreme giddiness, and it, I think that's kind of what would happen here. I think uh, people would have overconfidence and maybe there would be more breakouts because they think they can do it and they'd be so happy that they wouldn't you know, really know what they were there for. I don't think happiness would increase remorse and make criminals, you know, feel bad about what they did. I think yeah. it would have the opposite effect. Well, I mean, it depends. I guess it depends on what your view of a prison should be. Should it be a place where that person is forever tormented? Or should it be a place where they're merely contained and you're keeping them away from innocent people in the community? Because I think the, the latter suggestion is more important than the former because at that point they're already imprisoned, you know, What's the what's the good in torturing them? Because they're they're already there for however long. Um, but if this is if the happiness actually keeps them there, that seems to be better for the prison system in the way, and probably better for society. No. Yeah, I think uh, it just goes back to the comment from Dream Quaffle about how, you know, that's not really a punishment, it's more of a vacation. I think happy Dementors should almost more be used in a rehabilitation center. Like, most prisons are, like, rehabilitative, um, but the Azkaban seems like you're just sitting in a cell, you're not really doing activities or anything. Um, so I think happy <laughs> Dementors should more be used for maybe mental institutions to keep up morale than a punishment center. But then you, you just I I totally just got a picture in my head of Bellatrix playing shuffleboard. Yeah, <laughs> like they're not doing activities, they're just sitting. You then have the question of like when they're released from Azkaban, are they gonna do the same like crime again because they had this happy time in Azkaban, they just wanna go back, you know? Are all well, Azkaban thing, yeah. sentences life sentences or can they just be like two years? That's well, always been pretty ambiguous. Yeah. yeah, I mean Hagrid obviously gets out, but that's because his name is cleared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I read just, the next uh, comment now. Read the one from Queen Silver because it's interesting. I, I will, I will. But if I, my, my personal view on this is if you're containing them, that's 
that's what you really need to do. All right, this is from Queen Silver 171. This question reminds me of something I once heard about the Swedish prison system. I'm not sure if it pertains to all prisons or just a few, but there are some that are called therapeutic communities. The prisoners live in their own homes or apartments in a gated community. They cook for themselves and then get up every day to go to their own individual job within the community. The prisoners work together harmoniously to keep up their own community. I also read that some prisons have field trips where the prisoners do community service outside the prison in order to keep <coughs> sorry, them connected to the outside world. This prison system seems to be successful in a lot of ways. Although I believe this form of punishment would be good for some prisoners, those with lesser sentences, I can't imagine Beltrix Lestrange being treated this way after all she has done without remorse. Yeah, so I guess that does kind of sound like a vacation, but... Um, well, no, actually, I, um, we have actually um, some programs like that in the prisons in my area. Yes, it's not for people like Bellatrix Lestrange who go about and murder endlessly. Um but they grow community gardens and things like that. So I think uh, that kind of prison system would work for a petty thief like Mung Dungus. Right. And right. maybe happy dementors could be used for him. But in terms of Bellatrix and all those kind of death eaters, I really don't think it would work well on them. I think they would just take advantage of it and plan their next breakout. Because I feel like... Yeah, I feel like the best solution, honestly, would be a little bit of both, because I think that's where the conflict comes in, is when you're, you know, they maybe they suck out all your good memories, and then they give you one really good one, and make you miss it, and then they take yeah. it away again. Totally I, have, um, I have a friend who's studying criminal psychology, um, and is hoping to kind of go into a career of rehabilitating prisoners and... Um, that kind of thing. In fact, it, it's Nicola who was on one of our first episodes for um, Philosopher's Stone. Um, mm -hmm. But she is really interested in, the, in this idea of prison systems and how they work because our current prison system, definitely in the UK and I think definitely probably the US and other places as well, is not particularly good at actually stopping crime. It right, will just no. kind of take you away, put you in a place where you are surrounded by other prisoners who could, you know, teach you things, and then you're released and you can go out and do the same things again. But if you had... Um, the, the main idea is to take you away from the the kind of environment that is causing you to commit the crimes. So if you think about the Death Eaters, they're actually kind of a concept of gang violence. They're all doing it because of one specific mentality, um, yeah. And they're all doing it as a team um, with that kind of idea going on. So if you could split up the Death Eaters and rehabilitate them in a way that is very different from the way that they're currently looked at, if you weren't kind of focusing on the bad thoughts and you were kind of teaching them the good of life in a in a more happy way, do you think it could have actually changed who they were? Um, I think for people like maybe the Malfoys, that could change them, but Bellatrix seems pretty set in her ways. <laughs> it, I mean, Bellatrix is kind of crazy, though, by the time we see her. With this debate, it's kind of hard to not put your own political views of our prisons into this, yeah. because, of course, like, I believe that, you know, prisons should be, like, have re rehabilitation and, like, send people back into society, hopefully more 
better people. But it's hard to say this for wizarding prisons because um, dementors are so black and white. They're either your worst memories or your best memories, as in this hypothetical situation. So obviously, worst memories aren't exactly helping because we can see that. But happy, extreme happiness probably wouldn't help either. So like Kat was saying, you kind of do need a mix of the both, but that's not really an option in terms of dementors. Otherwise, we would just have normal wizarding guards. They're a mix of both. Sure. All right. So we have uh, one more comment. Uh, it's from R... Uh, is that 007 or is that 007? Oh, 007. Sorry, James Bond here. R007. I believe happiness could be used as a successful tool for punishment. Being continually happy could easily become addictive. Take the reverse dementors away, and the prisoners would start to go through withdrawal. The people would effectively become prisoners of their own addiction as well as physically incarcerated. To me, this seems just as morally questionable as using normal dementors. People who are mistakenly placed in Azkaban, thinking of Hagrid here, can easily be released when normal dementors are in place. With reverse dementors, being released might only be a continuation of the punishment. Constant happiness might seem better, but it would leave normal life to look dull and depressing. And I'm just going to add this to the comment, but that might make you cause crime just to go back to Azkaban, um, which is a very, very good point, R007. I did not think of that. Um, so if these reverse dementors were going to be used, it would have to be in, in a case where these people would not be released, I guess. Yeah, or... I, I think too, you know, saying where you, you um, it says, of course, now I have to find the part I was talking about. Oh, it says where the prisoners would go through withdrawal, you know, from the reverse dementors. Exactly. Th that's what I'm saying. Like, you give it to them and you take it away. You give it to them and you take it away. No matter what we come up with, it's going to be pretty bad <laughs> for these prisoners. I mean, it's so, prison. Um, yeah. Have you guys seen Inception? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know um, that one part where people pay to go live their dreams in that like sketchy basement. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's what this would be like. It's exactly like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I'm getting these visions of like prisoners like being really good just to relive one happy memory, and then like when they're bad, they're not allowed to have any. Like that's what I keep seeing. Has uh has anyone here ever read the Pendragon book series? Um, nope. Because there's this one book in which the character goes to a land where everyone gets plugged into these computers and they just live these happy lives and they're fed through intravenous tubes their whole lives. That sounds like Avatar. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Avatar has aspects of it too, at least for the humans who do that. Um, I'm actually working on a book that has a similar philosophy. Um, Whoa. It's the concept of the Matrix as well, isn't it? That you've got this horrible life, but that you don't know it because you're plugged into the Matrix. Exactly. Right. Yep. Exactly. All right, so now that we've gotten the post question of the week out of the way, uh, actually, let me back up for a second and say that if you want to comment on the question of the week ever, make sure to visit alohumor.mugglenet.com. It's on the front page, and we read comments directly from there for that particular section. Um, and now we are jumping into chapters five and six of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Dementor, Talons, and Tea Leaves. Chapter five. The Dementor. So, in Chapter 5, The Dementor, we are finally heading off to Hogwarts. Um, and we start the chapter by seeing Harry getting a personal wake-up call with a cup of tea from Tom the Barman, um, before Ron barges in and kind of starts complaining that Percy is being a nightmare again. 
um, because he has he is accusing Ron of spilling tea on his picture of Penelope Clearwater, who is now <laughs> hiding her nose outside of the picture. Oh, Percy. <laughs> um, we then go downstairs to the bar, or to the main room of the Leaky Cauldron, at least. Not the Leaky Cauldron? Yeah, the Leaky Cauldron. Um, and yeah. we see Mr. Weasley is frowning at the front page of the Daily Prophet. Do we think this is an is a article about Sirius again, or is there something even worse going on in the world? I think that he's frowning because of his fight with Molly. Yeah, it could be. That's the vibe I Whoa. got. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah he's probably, Me- he's thinking about the fight with Molly and looking at, you know, the serious situation getting more and more increased. And he probably thinks he's in the right, like, we really should tell Harry. And so he's frowning because he's like, this is getting serious. Enough is enough. Oh, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, however, Mrs. Weasley is talking to Hermione and Ginny about an, a love potion anecdote of when she created a love potion when she was younger. So she's obviously not bothered by the fight in the same way that Mr. Weasley is if you're saying that that's why he's frowning. That's because she thinks she won. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she won Arthur Weasley over with a love potion and that's why they married and had, you know, ten kids? No, of course it's not actually ten. That was an exaggeration. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, think their love so. is much more real than that. Yeah, they're I a hope. happy family. Well, yeah. She, yeah, Mrs. Weasley doesn't seem like the love potion type to me, but I feel like this is just a. Um, I don't know. The, this it got me kind of a, why is it, why is this mentioned? Like, is it just meant to be foreshadowing for the um, the scene that we do see in um, Order of the Phoenix with is it Order of the Phoenix? No, it's book no, six. It's that's the thing. So circle theory doesn't work on this. Oh dear. <laughs> but again, you know, well, that's when we see love potions. Well, right. there are certain uh, gender stereotypes that are activating when the three of them are sitting around a love potion, but I'm not going to go into that. I think right this now. is kind of a risque story for Mrs. Weasley, too. Like, right? it, Yeah, why would she be telling it, her daughter this? <laughs> I know, like, love potions are outlawed in a lot of places in the wizarding world, and here she is, like, openly talking, like, yeah, I've done it. <laughs> what kind of story is she telling them? If we really think about it, well, if she Not created a, saucy a love story, story and I used think, it, yeah. then did did she seduce some guy at Hogwarts and <laughs> with this with this potion and Hagrid? No, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Just kidding. That's a fan fiction waiting to happen. Oh I don't god! Even think, I don't even think that one's physically possible. Okay, well, Hagrid oh. was born, so we know it's physically possible. Between a human and a giant, I mean, we've discussed this. Yeah, <laughs> so me and Alex, me and Alex but I'm still there's still a lot of ambiguity in the mechanics. I we don't need to discuss the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a title right there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the the ministry cars have turned up to take all of them um, off to platform nine and three quarters and they're quite interesting in the description of being dark green and old fashioned um, it seemed quite nice that you know wizarding cars would be wizarding appropriate colours you know green or purple um, and that they are kind of old fashioned they're not not with the times because the I ministry mean, that, hasn't kept up I feel like yeah I was going to say I feel like that speaks exactly to what the ministry is yeah. dark and old fashioned <laughs> <laughs> like like nothing has been updated for years you know no. it just that's how it feels that's the whole wizarding world, though. It kind of all got stuck in this one time period where the muggle world kept evolving technology-wise, and they just, I feel like one day they were just like, yeah, we're going to stop here. 
and that's a reflection of the model of the cars. They're like, yeah, we're good. No more updating. How long had Fudge been in office at this point? Um, Does anyone know? A few years. I'm going to Google it. <clears throat> I love modern technology. <laughs> I know, it's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. So this is 1993 that we're in right now? Yeah. Okay, so Fudge had been in office three years. I was just thinking that maybe, um, you know, the moving forward in the ministry had stopped when Fudge came in office, but that's obviously not the case. No. So. Problems in the ministry have been around much longer than that, if you think no, about the first rise of Voldemort and everything as well. Um, we see that Mr. Weasley is being a very subtle bodyguard in that no one else notices that he is hanging on to Harry like a limpet. He will not let him out of his sight and he even, you know, t- walks him to the car and goes through the barrier at nine and three quarters with him. Um, whereas normally he would say, you know, Harry and Ron go in together. Um, so once we are on nine and three quarters, we see that Ginny and Ron come in after Harry and Mr. Weasley, and they have taken the barrier out of Ron. And I was Wait, wondering, if- isn't it? Isn't it Percy? I'm fairly sure it's Ginny and Ron. I think it's Percy because then he goes over and he puffs his chest out for Penelope. I thought he That's came right. after. I right, thought it was so Ginny and Ron, and then Percy afterwards. New feature on the show: host battle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was who is right. Either way, I was wondering if they had run because of kind of a, a slight fear of what was going on through through last year so i guess it wouldn't really work if it's not run because i was ju- linking that with looked, dobby we just looked it up and it is uh percy and Ginny that come through okay then <laughs> either way Ginny still could have the bad memories of last year um but that doesn't really matter anymore never mind end of battle <laughs> i don't know if you guys uh or i can't remember if you guys discussed this in uh the first year uh podcasts but do you notice that there's, like, never a lineup to get into Platform 9 and 3 quarters? Yeah, yeah, we have discussed this at some point in the past, okay. and I don't think we ever kind of came up with we're, the solution. We were just discussing it last night, and we just thought it was hilarious that the Weasleys always get there, like, literally within 10 minutes for some reason. And there's n- never any rush. No rush hour. For You'd think with all of these hundreds of wizards treading out on this train that there would be more people around. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> They're just very efficient at getting them through the barrier, apparently. I guess so. Yeah, the Weasleys <laughs> are just always too late. No one would show up ten minutes before, and that's silly. <laughs> well, like, are, like, the Seamus and Dean getting there, like, an hour before? Like, where you never run into them on the platform. They could be camping out the day before. Because <laughs> they're so pumped up, like, for a new Harry Potter book. Maybe it's like the um, Quidditch World Cup, and they give you staggered times to show up. But everyone knows that the train leaves at 11. We don't ever find a time other than that to get there. That's true. Who knows? <laughs> hmm. Anyway, Ginny and Harry share a look when Percy walks off to find Penelope and they attempt not to giggle. And I think this was the first moment in the series that I actually believed that something might happen between them at some point. Um, because catch. it's just such a kind of stereotypical, these two might become romantic look, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The inside but, joke giggle. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. We see this a lot more later on um, when Harry starts to feel jealous um, after that summer that they spent together. In book five. In book five. So it's an interesting bit of circular momentary again. 
we see that Mr. Weasley actually defies his wife and the Minister of Magic and actually does pull Harry aside to tell him about Sirius. But Harry says that he already knows that he overheard them accidentally and he isn't afraid of Sirius in comparison to Voldemort. Um, I think we discussed this last week, but it's it shows that Harry is really quite brave, but also that he, he knows that Voldemort is ultimate is the ultimate enemy and Sirius is just not quite as scary. Right. Or does Harry not have enough education on the subject? Like he heard the story on the night bus and he's heard their argument, but maybe he's just like not fully aware. Of he the- is a little f- he is a little foolhardy. He's yeah. a little uh, yeah. reckless. Yeah. But ultimately he feels safe at Hogwarts, like he's always said. Like, right. If, mm. if Voldemort is afraid of Dumbledore, then Sirius must be too. It's strange to me that all these kids are like, but we're at Hogwarts. Well, you know what? About 10 of your classmates die every year. So it's <laughs> interesting to me that you guys feel this insane safety. No one's yeah. died yet. Only next year. Oh, yeah. That starts it. That starts the ball rolling. <laughs> it does. That's true. Ultimately, the message is don't go looking for Sirius Black. And we get this repeated several times throughout the next kind of three pages, I think it is. Um and Harry kind of goes, why does everyone always think that I'll go looking for trouble? And it's because, Harry, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Harry and then also pulls... because also because Arthur thinks that Harry might realize that um, yeah. he betrayed his parents. That's the well, thing, Harry's, like, a, Harry's not one to let things sit. So, like, as soon as he finds out that, you know, Sirius supposedly was the one who got his parents murdered, he's going to want revenge for that. Yeah. yeah. But so. but I mean that's what that's what Arthur's referencing here though right exactly mm-hmm. do we think that Arthur and Molly had discussed this and Harry just missed that part so Arthur thinks Harry knows more than he actually does oh that's very possible hmm it's not I'm very important yes. either way but it's just an interesting thought well no I don't think do you think that James and Sirius I mean that James and Sirius that um Arthur and Molly. Wow, don't know where that came from. Do you think that they know that he's Harry's godfather? I think that Dumbledore would have told them because, I mean, Harry was staying with them for the summer. There's a right. threat level there um, if Sirius okay. was looking for Harry. Right. And it would be so. Yeah, I would. I would why. assume that. I would assume that then that yes, that they, they spoke about that, and Harry just didn't hear that part. Sure. Do we think that most people know that, like in the wizarding world? Like, obviously, Fudge knows that, but do most people know that he's his godfather and they're all just keeping it from him, or do only select people know that? Well, we know that Malfoy definitely knows. Yeah. So how would Malfoy know? Other so than- that's why I feel like it might be common knowledge. I think Malfoy knows because Voldemort knew. Does and Voldemort know that? You know- like, it's not a particularly important thing. I think that it's just one of those kind of um, bits of information that the media would definitely pick up on in making an event look more tragic than it was. So not only was Harry killed, Harry's parents killed, um, and so he's orphaned, but he managed to defeat the Dark Lord, but the person that betrayed them was his godfather. It makes it that much worse. If that were the case, I feel like that would have been in the article about Sirius in The Daily Prophet. Maybe it would have said it would have said serious um, Godfather to Harry Potter. Yeah, I feel like if that was common knowledge, reporters definitely would have put that in there. But we're trying. But at the same time, they're trying to vilify him, so they wouldn't necessarily link him with a good character in that way. 
No, I don't know. I worked at a newspaper for a while, and I definitely think they would have put that in there. Yeah, I, I, pers- I personally, even writing that article, would have put that in there. Yeah, and like it's like this dramatic piece in your article where you're like, right. oh, this man is like on the loose, but he's looking for Harry Potter. So right. that like adds more, like. Um, but the ministry's attraction. trying to keep it quiet, aren't they? We see that when we meet. Maybe not. I don't know. I would have thought the ministry would have been trying to keep it quiet and therefore censoring the newspaper as they do later on. Hmm. That's a good point. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Harry pulls aside Ron and Hermione and says that he needs to talk to them in private, which obviously means no Ginny because they have no other friends. Um, <laughs> and they walk through the train trying to find a free compartment and only find the last one free. How big is this train if every single compartment is full apart from one? Okay, did you guys, I don't know if anyone's clarified this, but there's, like, that weird mistake on, it's on page 58 of our books, um, about how uh, the Weasleys took them on the train. Harry and Mr. Weasley led the way to the end of the train, past packed compartments to a carriage that looked quite empty. They loaded the trunks onto it and stowed Hedwig and Crookshanks into the luggage rack. And then yeah. they went back outside. And then later on, Lupin is in their compartment, which Laura and I were trying to figure out, like, compartment and carriage are obviously different things. But the luggage rack that they put Hedwig and Crookshanks in must be in their compartment. Right. So wouldn't Lupin already be in there? Like, how did he just KO snooze, like, within five minutes of them getting there? <laughs> I think that one is definitely an example of a mistake in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Sadly. obviously <laughs> Mr. Weasley would have recognized Lupin. So, yeah. right. Speaking hmm. of recognizing Lupin, Lupin is sat in, or is, is yeah, sat in this um, compartment, fast asleep, um, and he is described for the first time as shabby with darned clothes. He's quite young, but his hair is flecked with grey, and his case says Professor R. J. Lupin in peeling letters. And the fact that it said professor on his case got me thinking, you know, how long has he been a professor? This is his first year. Why would it be peeling on his case already if it's only just been stuck on? Yeah, That's what a good is point. The, what is the qualifications for professors in the wizarding world? Like, they obviously don't have to go to teacher's college. None, obviously. <laughs> but it just seems strange that here's Lupin with peeling letters of professor on his case. And so it seems like he's had some previous experience, whereas Hagrid... Later Hagrid on. becomes a professor in this one as well, yeah. Yeah, he's and he's totally, he's not even a qualified wizard, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, teach our children, go for it. <laughs> but but, the, but to the back to the old question, I mean, where could he possibly be teaching if not Hogwarts? And exactly. what did he need to get that degree to teach? Do you think he went out into the muggle world when he was kind of outcast by the wizarding one, so he was actually a proper professor? Can you Ooh. see Lupin teaching biology in grade 11 science classes? It Probably just seems not, so odd. It seems so odd to me. I feel like Joanne would have mentioned that somewhere along the way. <laughs> well, we're still waiting for his backstory, so Oh, fair enough. What has he been doing all these years? Right. I don't know. I feel like it had to say Professor RJ Lupin otherwise how would Hermione know he was a professor? Yeah. You know, uh, who else would he be? <laughs> It's just one of those things that has to be there. But well, yeah, why the peeling letters? That didn't because be he's poor. Oh. I was gonna say something like maybe he just went to a really weird store to get it done, and they didn't do a very good job because <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. cheap. <laughs> I've always wondered by the, like why was he on the train? I've always kind of assumed that the night before would have been the last night of a full moon, 
and therefore he had to get the train to get to Hogwarts on time or something. Oh. We wondered if um, Lupin was placed there for Harry's protection by maybe, like, yeah, maybe. I don't know if the, like, a small version of the order was in the running, like, just, like, under wraps. Like, we know the full thing comes back in the fifth book, but, d- you know, did Dumbledore, like, place in there, like, keep an eye out, bud? And, like, probably because we know that Dumbledore is the orchestra, you know, the. Yeah. yeah orchestrating his life i so. think he was there on orders to protect him and thank god he was mm-hmm. so harry tells ron and hermione about what he's overheard about sirius and they are much more shocked and afraid than harry ever was and so much so that harry even says that it's worse than he expected um is this because they know more about azkaban so they know kind of how dangerous sirius is if he's actually managed to escape from this thing because Harry really doesn't have any information about the prison yet. Well, I'm sure Hermione's information on Sirius is all from, like, Daily Prophet and stuff because she, like, reads everything. And Ron obviously brought, was brought up in the Wizarding World, so he kind of knows how the dangers of Azkaban. Yeah. So they're obviously much more educated than Harry and yeah. this man. As usual. Yeah. I mean, Hermione knows more about Harry's life than Harry. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, you know... The information they have is wrong. Sirius isn't someone to be afraid of. That's, well, so that's according another, to popular opinion, yeah. yeah. But it's another example of um, Joe making you think one thing only to twist it on its head later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very clever. <laughs> um, we find out that the sneaker scope is actually going off at this point um, while they are discussing Sirius. And it makes you think, is it that Peter is listening in at this point? That we've we've kind of picked out that the the rat always seems to be around when the sneakerscope is mentioned but could it also be that you know is lupin really asleep or is he awake and listening in on their conversation just as much as peter is when i or read is there it something I else ass- going on when i read it i assumed it was because lupin was awake that's how i always read it and i didn't even Me think too. about peter until i uh read it on our little document here i did i was like oh yeah that could be the reason yeah well i mean how much has peter overheard over the years a lot. Yeah, a lot. That, it, it really makes you think, like, Peter's around for intimately. everything. Yeah. yeah. I think Peter he... would probably listen whenever he hears Sirius's name. Like, he would make a point of listening in. I think yeah, that was actually... Yeah, because then when he can go back to Voldemort and he has this, like, file folder of information from <laughs> the Weasleys just from being overheard. Yeah. And then they brush their teeth at 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, shouldn't Joe have played that card later in the series? Like, have... Uh, Peter Pettigrew just come up, oh, oh, like, oh, I know what you guys were doing this time, and like, in, like, kind of an inside joke, and then they remember, oh, he was the rat. I feel like she never throws us any of those, uh, those curveballs, you know. That she doesn't need to. True. See, your concept of Peter interests me because do you guys actually think that he was always intending to go back to Voldemort if he came back then? Because I really don't think that Peter is that clever. I think he's afraid and like he was tricked into it, or well, not really tricked into it, but he was weak enough to become a de- Death Eater and do dumb, uh, Voldemort's bidding. Yeah, I'm sure um, he thought that he was going to remain a rat for probably yeah. the rest of his life, and then he was given this, like, random opportunity to escape. Yeah, and I think the only... Yeah, and I think the only choice he had to, like, remain, I guess, in his human form or his wizard form was to go back to Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. He wouldn't have done it unless he knew that it would have been, like helping helpful to himself he would have been perfectly happy being a rat the rest of his life yeah 
So when he's actually listening in, I don't think he's listening for information to pass on. I think he's just listening for things that might actually affect himself. So Sirius, if Sirius has escaped, that's why he gets ill, because he's starting to worry that Sirius is coming to look for him. Okay, so the sneakerscope is stuffed into Vernon's old socks, where it will remain until at least Christmas. I think that's in this book. It may even be a Christmas far in the future. Um... But then we hear about Hogsmeade again, and we hear about some of its fantastic wizarding shops that we will hopefully get to see sometime in the future. And we Indeed. learn that it's the only non-Muggle village. So does that in mean Britain. it's unplottable, like Hogwarts? Like, are there a bunch of enchantments to keep it that way, or they're just lucky? <laughs> no, it's, it's probably under the whole thing. As as uh, no, it's not under the same protections as Hogwarts because in Half Blood Prince, they're able to um, operate. They're What's able to um, apparate. Apparate, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's the word. I would assume it does have like muggle repelling charms and things as well, though, because it is so closely linked to Hogwarts that it would be dangerous yeah. for muggles to be there. So what about people like right. the Grangers? Like if they want to meet up with Hermione for like lunch and Hogsmeade on our field trip, like that's not a thing that can happen? Aw, poor Grangers no never get to see their daughter. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> well, I mean, is Hog is Hogsmeade segregated against Muggles? I'm just Whoa. gonna put it out there. Um, some sort of racial. <laughs> yeah, think about that. I don't know. That's They're actually not allowed. That's to be opening there another can of worms. Race. <laughs> it's, a, it's a disgusting. It, can. Is it more for like <laughs> the <laughs> like security though? Like maybe I think it's just for safety purposes. Not. I would assume it would be like Diagon Alley, and we've seen that the Grangers yeah. can actually go into Diagon Alley. So maybe it's yeah. I think the Grangers pro- could probably go to Hogsmeade because they actually know about it. But if they know about it, right? Would, yeah. But it probably you know random Muggles who'd walk by would probably be you know oh this is interesting oh wait what where am I and then turn yeah. around kind of thing. Yeah, they'd remember something important to do somewhere else. Yep. So we get the description but, uh, of the Shrieking Shack, which is called the most haunted building in Britain. Um, and this made me really think because we are used to Hogwarts where we see ghosts floating around everywhere. There's so many of them in Hogwarts. How many do they think are in the Shrieking Shack and why is it something to be afraid of if we well, see Well, it's interesting because they mentioned later on yeah. about the Shrieking Shack. I can't remember which ghost said it, but they said we don't really hang out there because there's a freaky crowd over there. Something to that effect about the Hogwarts ghosts don't go over there because of the company that the Shrieking Shack has. But then we learn later on that there aren't any ghosts in there at all. And all the noises came yeah. from Lupin, which makes me wonder, the Shrieking Shack would have only been, quote unquote, the most haunted building in Britain for like 30 years, because that's when Lupin was in, or more than that. But you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't forever have been that. Yeah, and it was supposedly right. built at the same time that the, the Whomping Willow was planted. So it's not even that no, old of a No, because it, it says that the inn was the headquarters for the um, gob- Goblin Rebellion in 1612. That's what I mean. So, so it was... Time. The inn was, but not the Shrieking Shack. Yes, it says in sites of historical society, it says the inn and the Shrieking Shack... Suppo- so was the oh, Shrieking right. Shack a brand new wrong. house that was just put <laughs> up when Lupin came to school and then all of a sudden people were like, oh, it's haunted. That makes no. Supposedly, who would yeah. buy that? Like Apparently. someone would be like, "That's a, that's a new house. It should be haunted." <laughs> wait, wait. Maybe the ghosts are in on it. Yeah, I think the ghosts would have been told. Oh, to that's spread very the rumor. good. That's very good thought. And that's why they don't go there. 
Especially maybe they told everyone to go away. Because Lupin was a Gryffindor. What if the ghosts all throw parties in there and they just tell everyone to go away? <laughs> it's interesting, just the, the film depiction yeah. of it. It's like so dilapidated. And even though we know that Lupin and his friends yeah. used to like destroy it in their animal outrages, it just seems so dilapidated to be a brand new house that's only... But it has been abandoned mm-hmm. for over 10 years as well. I mean... Very it, true. A house without being maintained is going to look That's dilapidated true. fairly quickly. <laughs> but yeah, it's it still seems a bit odd that people would believe this story without any proof. And, you know, ghosts aren't even that scary. Yeah. So why would they be afraid of it? But we see that um, Hermione lets Crookshanks out of his cage. Um, and he immediately jumps onto Ron, who pushes him off. But he's not attacking the rat at this point. He's just watching, keeping an eye. Um, and, you know, with the discussion of Sirius over, Lupin makes kind of a move in his sleep. So maybe he's decided to settle down and stop listening in if he was awake to start with. But he is still proving very useful because Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle re- uh, turn up and we get a nice little <laughs> recap of the last two years of their relationship with Harry and the rest of them. Um, but luckily this time, Malfoy can't do anything because he is afraid slightly of the backlash that would happen because Lupin is sat in their compartment. And Ron says, I'm not going to take any rubbish from Malfoy this year, which won't, <laughs> won't last particularly long as we'll find out later in this chapter. <laughs> Um, outside of the train, the weather is getting increasingly stormy, um, so much so that it is pitch black outside the windows. Um, and we find that the train stops too early and all of the lamps go out and darkness falls. And Ron says, there's something moving out there. And I thought it was really interesting how much of this dialogue in this little scene makes it into the movie script. It's a very kind of cinematic Even the ouch, Ron, that was my foot. Mm -hmm. That made it into the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they they couldn't put Harry at the end talking to his son saying it did for me, but they can put Ron that was my foot. I'm just saying. Well, you guys have to remember yeah. that this was Alfonso Cuarón and Prisoner of Azkaban is clearly the best adaptation in film that Uh-oh. of all the series. Oh. Contentious. I will have to disagree. But- I will have to disagree with that and I'm going to put out a little spoiler. MuggleNet has a project coming out in about a week after this episode releases that's going to help the fans decide that for real. Oh, Don't mention yeah. what it is. But, but my personal favorite is POA. Personal favorite. All the way. Sure. Mine too. Disagree. disagree. That's all disagree, I have to say. But that's cool. <laughs> yeah, we can come to a conclusion after yes. the end of February. How's that? <laughs> Um, What doesn't happen in the movie, however, is Neville and Ginny fall into this compartment as well. So Neville literally falls through the door and Ginny collides into Hermione when she goes to ask the driver what's happening. So you get a nice little bit of slapstick in the dark um, until Lupin awakes and tells everyone to be quiet. Um, And he conjures flames. He doesn't say Lumos. He conjures a little ball of flame in his hand. Are those the same flames that Hermione does in the jars? Perhaps. That's what I was wondering. It doesn't say that they're blue, though. No. Also, sorry. But if you, were... I was just gonna say, was sorry, go ahead. Joanne's only purpose of putting Neville in that seat is so he could spread the rumor of Harry fainting. Like, what is his actual purpose in that room? Uh huh. I would say it was because you want to put all of your heroes who have had dark experiences in this room with the Dementor to okay. see how they react. 
so Neville and Harry, you have this link, ultimately, that they've been through very, very similar things. Um, with For Ginny, um, as I'll say in a few minutes, it's because of everything that happened last year. Um, but it makes you think, you know, was Neville in the same room when his parents were tortured? In the same way that Harry was in the same room hmm. when his parents were killed? Doubtful, because then why would he be alive? I, I don't think Bellatrix would have had any qualms yeah, with killing him point if they were in the room. Maybe. I feel like they were captured. I'm pretty sure that they were captured and then tortured elsewhere. I agree. Fair enough. But he still has these bad memories and bad experiences that he will dwell on of throughout course. his childhood. Um, so I think that's why Neville is put in this scene, as well as to spread the rumor later on. But we see the door sliding open and a cloaked figure towering to the ceiling whose face is hidden by a hood. And we see his hand visible and it's glistening and slimy and scabbed. How can you have something that's slimy and scabbed? I would have thought they would be two different things. Um, but he is um, he looks dead and decayed in water. And I always thought that it was a really interesting description when we later saw the yeah. fairy Because they seem less dead and decayed in water than the Dementors did in a weird way and, mm. but we get this low uh, long slow rattling de- breath and an intense cold hits at that moment which is again very different from the movie which has the cold hitting so before we actually see the Dementors. So what are Dementors? Like, do, they're obviously like a human type structure if they have hands and mouths and stuff but it just like is it supposed to be like a skeleton underneath or are they like the Inferi with the well, dead bodies or We're going to well, get we're... more into a Dementor discussion in our special feature so maybe we should hold off until then on that sure um so harry feels this intense cold and it's inside his heart and he's drowning in cold it's, it's amazing how many of these things are linked to water um and he hears this terrible terrified screaming which at this moment we don't know what it is but obviously we later find out that it's lily and i think that's a horrible description of as your first you know your first hearing of your own mother and it's a terrible terrified screaming but the next thing we know, the Hogwarts Express is moving again and Ron says that no one screamed and Harry is on the floor having collapsed um, with Ron and Hermione helping him back into his seat. And we get the description that Ginny and Neville are both very pale. And as we all know, chocolate makes everything better. So Lupin hands out a bar of chocolate, which no one seems to eat. Why does no one listen to this teacher Don't when eat. he's telling them to do things? Yeah. Well, I mean, if a strange man is giving you stuff... Don't eat it. It's chocolate. chocolate can be laced Hello. With <laughs> you don't just eat food strangers give you. But this guy just saved your ass. I would eat it, but <laughs> and I'm a chocolate. Is Joe so. just going on the basis that like everyone loves chocolate and therefore it'll make you feel happy again? Or is, does it have an actual ingredient in it that is for some reason a remedy? Chocolate and- releases endorphins. Chocolate is proven to actually release endorphins, so it does make you happier, so it would give you back those happy memories okay. that the Dementor has leached out, or happy feelings. Now, I have a question. Is this uh, is this normal muggle chocolate, or is this special enhanced No, it, it says chocolate? it's from Honeydukes. So I'm saying, would that chocolate be the same, or would it be like kind it of be chemically different? Yeah, chocolate no is chocolate. There's for it to be different. Yeah. Very well. Consensus. <laughs> So Lupin says that 
Uh, Harry asks, what was that thing? And Lupin says that it's a Dementor, one of the Dementors of Azkaban. But he doesn't say anything more, which is very useful, Lupin. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> the focus is always on Harry, who is the only one who has collapsed on the entire train, apparently. We don't find out about anyone else. Um, but we hear that Ron and Hermione kind of recap what went on when Harry was passed out. And Lupin walked towards this Dementor and said, none of us are hiding serious black under our cloaks. And it's really interesting phrasing because Ron is currently hiding Pettigrew under his cloak. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's cool. Nice. So it's not the right criminal, but it's the actual criminal who committed the crime they're searching for. <gasps> so wait, is that? I mean, is that why they? Obviously, they were checking the whole train. But if it Harry wasn't in that, if Harry wasn't in that room, would they have gone in there? I think they. Yeah, they would have been checking all of the all <coughs> of the train. Um, but I think mm. that compartment with all, with that collection of people, with Lupin, who has been tormented his whole life by the fact that he's a werewolf, with Neville, who has all of the bad memories of his parents and everything and everything that happened to him as a child, Ginny, who had all of the events from last year, Harry, who obviously has his entire backstory, Ron and Hermione, not so much, but <laughs> with those four people, you've got that intense amount of negative feeling um, mixed in with all the happiness that, you know, it would have been impossible for the Dementors to resist. Right. And also you've got Pettigrew, who's obviously guilty and in fear. So right, yeah, but he's an animagus, so, so they can't Can Dementors him. feed off of an- like animals at all? Because, you know, we see that Siri- yeah, Sirius ex- in escapes some way. as an animal, but it would obviously still affect him. So would the Dementors even feel Peter in that room? Um... Sirius says that the the Dementors could recognise a broken mind, um, so they would feel that there was a person there, but or maybe an animal. I don't know. Maybe they would think of um, Crookshanks as well as a a lesser mind in the same way. Um, but but yeah, there would definitely be a kind of a sense of something wrong, but not necessarily to the same extent that it would have been if Pe- if Peter wasn't in the rat form at that time. Mm. so we find that we are now 10 minutes from Hogwarts um, and it's still freezing rain on the platform so we still get the kind of influence of the Dementors nothing's quite happy yet we get a nice little check-in from Hagrid before he takes all of the first years off um, and we get Harry and Ron's first time in a stagecoach heading up towards Hogwarts um, and we get a nice little invisible qu- um, horse quote where you know he's he's saying that they look as if they're drawn by invisible horses but he can't be sure obviously we find out later that this is true Right, circle theory, because he, he sees them for the first time in, in book five. In book five. We then see McGonagall calling Harry and Hermione aside and leaving Ron on his own. For <laughs> the first time, really. And you get that first, another little influence, um, inference of Ron being not quite as important as the other two. He's always left Can't you own. see him just, like, wandering through the um, Great Hall? Like, where do I go? Like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, what do right. I do now? <laughs> like, he's lo- yeah, like he's missing like, his left imagine, and right like, arm. Mm-hmm. Like, Joe just writing Ron on his own. Like, he would just be so lost. <laughs> Meanwhile, McGonagall checks on Harry, and so does Madame Pomfrey, making sure that he's all right. And Madame Pomfrey does the classic line, Oh, it's you, is it? Because um, <laughs> Harry's always meeting up with her in some shape or form. Um, and on Lupin, she says um, about the chocolate, did he now? So we finally got a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who knows his remedies. So straight away, we know that 
Lupin is finally going to be a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that can actually teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. Right, he's legit, which is he nice. He's a good teacher. <laughs> Hermione's timetable is mentioned again, which obviously at this point seems inconsequential, but becomes of great importance later on. And this is the moment where she obviously gets her time turner that we don't know about yet. Um, so Dumbledore does this whole speech about the Dementors, um, saying that they're stationed at every single entrance to the grounds, um, and that you shouldn't try and cross them in any way because they are not one to accept excuses. And that anyone um, who is planning on going to Hogsmeade should not do so under invisibility cloaks. Cough, cough, wink, wink, Harry, don't talk directly <laughs> to you here. Um, then Lupin and Hagrid are both announced as new teachers and we get this nice little bit of Snape staring at Lupin with ultimate loathing. The look he wore when he set eyes on Harry because obviously they are hated for the same reason because they are both linked to James um, right. and because of Lupin's involvement in everything that happened at school with Snivellus. And I think this is the only the the one and only mention we have of Professor Kettleburn. Yeah. Um, and I found it odd that the Pottermore information was actually in the next chapter mm. about this oh. person. Um, oversight. But, but I wanted to read it here and talk about it if you guys didn't mind. Sure, go ahead. Okay, it says, um, Sylvanus Kettleborn was the care of magical creatures teacher at Hogwarts until Harry's third year when he was replaced by Rubius Hagrid. Kettleborn was an, an enthusiastic and occasionally reckless man whose great love of the often dangerous creatures he studied and looked after led to serious injuries to himself and occasionally others. This fact led to no fewer than 62 periods of probation during his time of employment of the school, a record that still stands. Like Hagrid after him, he was prone to underestimating the risks involved in caring for creatures such as Occamies, Occamies, Grindylows, and Fire Crabs, and once famously caused the Great Hall to catch fire after enchanting an Ashwinder to play the worm um, in a play of the Fountain of Fair Fortune. <laughs> Kettleburn was a lovable, if eccentric man, and his continuing employment at the school was evidence of a great affection in the staff and students held him. He finished his career with only one arm and half a leg. Albus Dumbledore presented him with a full set of enchanted wooden limbs on his retirement, a gift that had to be replaced regularly, since because Kettleborn's habit of visiting dragon sanctuaries in his spare time meant that his prosthetics were frequently set on fire. <laughs> that sounds like Hagrid to me. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a pretty good description of Hagrid. So I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty great that Hagrid got that job. I think it's good to know Hogwarts has this dramatic arts program where they're putting on plays yeah. in the Great Hall. <laughs> I know, because we've talked about that before. This is the first glimpse we get at any sort of creativeness at Hogwarts outside of, you know, pretty spells and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. It's also interesting that I really want to know what Hogwarts safety policy is, because it sounds like Kettleburn's really putting students in danger here, because it's obviously during school times, because it has 62 periods of probation, and yeah. then there's Hagrid still taking first years across the lake in this treacherous storm right now so what is their yeah. safety policy <laughs> they don't they don't have one apparently <laughs> their policy is one. madame pumphrey <laughs> right. and um did anyone notice here that the play they're putting on is from is one of the tales of yeah. beetle the guard yeah yeah which i thought was really cool so and i wanted just super briefly to talk about the wand that was given to kettleburn it's chestnut chestnut and phoenix feather 11 and a half inches wimpy 
Um, about chestnut, it says, uh, this is the most curious multifaceted wood, which varies greatly in its character depending on the wand core and takes a great deal of color from the personality that possesses it. The wand of chestnut is attracted to witches and wizards who are skilled tamers of magical beasts, those who possess great gifts in herbology, and those who are natural flyers. However, when paired with dragon heartstring, it may find its best match among those who are overfond of luxury and material things and less scrupulous uh, than they should be about how they were obtained. Conversely, three successive heads of the Wizenagamite have possessed chestnut and unicorn wands, for this combination shows a predilection for those concerned with all manner of justice. Yeah, so, and his is paired with Phoenix Feather, which we know, I mean, quite a lot about, that the people who have Phoenix Feather tend to take initiative, act on their own accord, um, things like that, so... This seems to work with this Kettleborn character. Yeah. Do we know what Hagrid's wand was made of? I don't. I just know that it was sixteen out. inches long. If you wanted to know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, and the other things we learn about him is it was a Hufflepuff, and his hobbies were dangerous creatures. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> so there, that's our Kettleborn information from Pottermore. Thank you, Joanne. Yeah, Joanne. It does make it interesting in you know comparison to Hagrid that he's not the only one that's done this with care of magical creatures. It's, it's the actual lessons that are dangerous, not just the teacher. Yeah, most random. Like I don't know. I feel like this is the most random bit of information for her to give us. Yeah, but it also makes total sense in context to Hagrid. Yeah. So, so after we get this little snippet of information, we find that Harry and the rest of the Gryffindors are heading back to the common room. Um, and Percy has set the password to be Fortuna Major, which is exceedingly pompous, but quite nice as foreshadowing as we get Neville saying, oh no, I'll never rem- remember that. And obviously Neville forgetting will become important later on in the year. And just as Harry's climbing into bed, we get a nice little snippet that says, Harry finally felt like he was home at last. So Laura and I were talking last night about this whole, because they said that uh, they cleared Hagrid's name, the trio cleared Hagrid's name last year. Yeah. Right. I right. I had come up with that. And um, yeah. I actually put this in here. I said, if Hagrid's name was cleared, like, is he not able to get a wand again and learn magic? Like, exactly. why wouldn't you elect to do that after your name was cleared? Like, I can't imagine, like, I guess Hagrid could have just been like, nah, it's okay. But why wouldn't you? Right. Because he's not, um, because he was expelled from Hogwarts so early yeah. on, he's not got the education that he needs to be able to handle a wand correctly. Exactly. Right, that's so, what I'm saying. Like, yeah. why wouldn't they allow him to learn magic? Like, Well, why he probably he- could, but it would, would you really want Hagrid becoming a pupil with everyone else when he was as old as he is? I think they it give would him be a like- professorship. I think it would be like adult education classes. I don't think he's going to be sitting in the back of Transfiguration. <laughs> but do and we know if these actually exist? Are there? He any knows adult enough magic to classes? get around, though. I like think he's, yeah. you know. I think Dumbledore would yeah, take like him a, on, like a crash course at, yeah. after dinner or something. But ultimately, <laughs> he he has all the skills that he needs for the job that he's going to be doing. So, does he actually need to learn any more magic than he already has? Well, at the same time, he it would be nice to give him an actual <coughs> wand and not a broken wand inside an umbrella. Like I feel like maybe that he's fun to his pink umbrella. <laughs> maybe he is, but I feel like that should have been a gift from the ministry, being like, "Sorry, champ, here's mm-hmm. your wand." Right. 
I agree completely. Completely agree. That was an oversight, Joanne. Get it together. Whoa, calling her out. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So we're going to jump into our next chapter here. Chapter six. Talons and tea leaves. Uh, It's all right, Mr. Longbottom. Select a new cup. One of the blue ones, if you don't mind. Thank you. So in this chapter, um, we come upon the trio on their first day of term. And I love it because, you know, uh, Malfoy is making fun of Harry for everything that happened on the train, showing a brave face. But then Fred and George, of course, you know, said that he nearly wet himself when the Dementor came to their compartment. I just thought that was great. And we also get this great bit where um, they're talking about Hermione's schedule again. And she just keeps kind of dodging the subject and says, don't be silly. Of course, I won't be in all three classes at once. And Ron presses her and she just says, nope, pass the marmalade. Not even going to talk about it. Whatever. (laughs) So she's obviously hiding something that dodgy little girl. They don't press her at all. Like, they let it slide so many times. Like, they'll be like, well, what do you mean? And Hermione will brush it off and they're like, oh, well, what's for lunch? I would want to know the answer. Why would you ever let them just leave it? (laughs) Your friend is is like, exactly. We were discussing that yesterday. Like, they never question it especially when she was talking uh, I think it's later on in this chapter where she says oh like my arithmetic class was so much better than divination and he's like but you haven't even been to that class yet and yeah, that's right. just how they, they just drop it and yeah. the, even like later on I think they're talking to like Ernie McMillan or something and he mentions that Hermione was in his class and Harry and Ron are like no she was in ours and no everyone just goes oh weird and like doesn't, <laughs> doesn't question it yeah. We're just meant to notice, I think, is what it is. And we're meant to be just as bewildered as they are. Yeah. I'd be like sitting down and interrogating her. It's so strange <laughs> to me. What is going on? So then they set off for their first divination lesson, which we learn is at the top of the North Tower and takes nearly 10 minutes to get there. And of course, they get lost along the way because, well, it's Hogwarts, right? It's huge. <laughs> and so we meet this tiny little knight in a painting and it's Sir Cadagan. And we actually got some information again on Pottermore on Sir Cadagan. So I wanted to read this. Am I saying that correctly? Because that's the way I've always said it. I've always said Sir Cadagan. I say Cadagan as well, but Stephen Fry on our audiobook says uh, Cadagan. So it's either way is fine, I think. <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Cadagan, I'm sticking with it. I think it sounds better, but anyway. How about Cadagan? Oh. Yeah. I'm saying that again. (laughs) Okay. It says, before the wizarding community was forced into hiding, it was not unusual for a wizard to live in the muggle community and hold down what we would now think of as a muggle job. It is widely believed in wizarding circles that Sir Cadagan was one of the famous knights of the round table, albeit a little known one, and that he achieved this position through his friendship with Merlin. He was certainly... um, he has certainly been excised from all muggle volumes of Sir of King Arthur's story, but wizarding versions of the tales include Sir Cadagan along Sir Lancelot, Sir Bed Bedivere, Bedivere, yeah. and Sir Percival. These tales reveal him to be hot-headed and peppery and brave to the point of foolhardiness, but a good man in the corner. Sir Cadagan's most famous encounter was with the what Wyvern. is that word? Wyvern of Way and a Wyvern. dragonish queen. <laughs> Of the why? Wyvern of Y. Wyvern of Y. Thank you. A <laughs> dragonish creature that was terrorizing the West Country. At their first encounter, the beast ate Sir Cadagan's handsome steed, bit his wand in half, and melted his sword and visor. 
Unable to see through the steam rising from his melting helmet, Sir Cadigan barely escaped with his life. However, rather than running away, he staggered into a nearby meadow, grabbed a small, fat pony grazing there, leapt onto it, and galloped back towards the wyvern. I said it right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with nothing but his broken wand in his hand, prepared to meet a valiant death. The creature lowered its fearsome head to swallow Sir Cadagan in the pony hole, but the splintered and misfiring wand pierced its tongue, igniting the gassy fumes rising from its stomach and causing the wyvern to explode. <laughs> Elderly witches and wizards still use the saying, I'll take Cadagan's pony to mean I'll salvage the best I can from a tricky situation. Sir Cadagan's portrait, which hangs on the seventh floor of Hogwarts Castle, shows him with the pony he rode forevermore, which, understandably perhaps, never much liked him, <laughs> and accurately depicts his hot temper, his love of a foolhardy challenge, and his determination to beat the enemy, come what may. What a great story. Yeah. <laughs> For those that don't know, a wyvern is a two-legged dragon. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank yeah. you. I'm totally going to start using that phrase in everyday language, and everyone's going to think I'll take I'm crazy. a dragon's pony. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be say. like, oh, he was a knight at the round table. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. You and then I won't be invited to parties anymore. <laughs> You'll be invited to the cool parties. I love this story, matters. though. Like, I'm. I consider myself a little bit of a specialist on Arthurian legends, so to have a Harry Potter Arthurian legend in its own right is just brilliant. I love it. It's pretty amazing, right? It kind of yeah. sounds like a story that would come out of, like, Tales of Beetle the Bard, you know? Like, yeah, that totally could be one. Oh, so cool. <laughs> Love this world. Okay. And again, we get his wand, which I just wanted to talk about briefly. You know how I like wands. Mm -hmm. So his wand is Blackthorn and Troll Whisker, nine mm -hmm. inches and combustible. About the black wand, it says... Black wand, which is very, which is a very unusual wandwood, has a reputation, in my view, well merited, of being best suited to the warrior. This does not necessarily mean that its owner practices the dark arts, although it is undeniable that those who do so will enjoy the blackthorn's wand's prodigious power. One finds blackthorn blackthorn wands among the aurors as well as among the denizens of Askban. It is a curious feature of the blackthorn bush, which sports wicked thorns. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. I can't get that out. <laughs> that it produces its sweetest berries after the hardest frosts, and the wands made from this wood appear to need to pass through danger or hardship with their owners to become truly bonded. Given this condition, the blackthorn wand will become as loyal and faithful a servant as one could wish. Whew, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> Um, I think that's that's a that's a pretty good description, though. Who else do we see that might have a blackthorn wand? Is do we that, know? I think we've definitely Bellatrix? seen them before. Yeah, yeah. Bellatrix yeah. has one, does she not? I think is she so, blackthorn? Yeah. That's possible. I'm not I don't entirely recall. sure. I'm I'm pretty sure it is. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> I like to be accurate. Um. Yeah, I do think it is black Blackthorn. Um, no, it is two it's and three quarters chain. walnut with a dragon core heartstring. Someone has a Blackthorn wand. I think. A yeah, wand I feel like a Blackthorn was taken from a snatcher by Ron. I was going to say it's a snatcher. There we the go. So it's it's actually just a generic snatcher. We never know whose it was. Okay. And then I thought the other interesting part was the core is troll whiskers. Yeah. And we know that Ollivander doesn't really use them. Strange. I've never heard of that. Yeah, so what do we think that is? Because Ollivander obviously doesn't use them. Like, how, how do, what do we think it means and how does it affect the wood? Well, it's, trolls it's are kind of like... uh, big and 
beefy. Stupid. Stupid. So I guess it makes your wand kind of stupid would be the the takeaway. Yeah, why would you be using something from a magical creature that doesn't really have positive properties attached to it? Like, well, I mean, there's in comparison to the unicorn. I guess it has brute force and all of that kind of stuff. So, is it? I mean, is it reasonable to believe that people back in the day made their own wands because there probably weren't necessarily wand shops? Um, and maybe at a certain point, Ollivander just streamlined his wands and just used the best cores. But maybe back in olden times, you had to actually find your own core find your own magical creature. Maybe it's a rite of passage. That makes sense. That's possible. So I, I doubt it. I think there would always have been um, people making ones. It would have been a, a specific career within the Wizarding World. Um, but I think that there would have been... You would test out one cause um, and see what they would do. So it just... It, Ollivander stops using them because they're not as good as others, probably. Right. Um, well, considered inferior to the Supreme Cause that we know of. Right. And we know on Ollivander's shop, didn't it say Ollivander's fine maker of one since like 320 BC yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which would have been around the same time as um, Kadagan, I think. Yeah. 320? Yeah. That's Sounds about, about the Arthurian right. period. Sure. I wonder how Ollivander gets his hand, hands on so many dragon heartstrings, um, unicorn hairs. And phoenix feathers. That's a good point. Yeah, that is a really good point. Is the he, same he, way any either... shop owner would get supplies, you would have a supplier who would be either, you know, yeah. who would right. be involved in a chaser looking of after them. Do you think he yeah. sells wands that ever have unique cores different from those three main ones? No, because according to Pottermore, he doesn't. <laughs> but it's maybe yeah, it's reasonable to believe that at a certain point he reformed his practice and just put it to those three cores. I think that's exactly what it said, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. So then the only other real bit of interesting information we get about uh, Kadagan is that he has three wives um, that are believed to have left him, and it's rumored that he has 17 children. <laughs> so he what gets a guy. around. Yeah, he gets around <laughs> to that Kadagan. <laughs> so they finally make it to the North Tower where Divination is. And they get there, and it's this circular trapdoor with a a brass plaque on it, and it says, Sybil Trelawney, divination teacher. And they are like, how are we supposed to get up here? And of course, so then a silverly ladder comes down, and they ascend into the classroom. And it's first described as a cross between someone's attic and an old-fashioned tea shop. (laughs) That just sounds like Trelawney, like the Trelawney in the movies, to me. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I feel but. like this classroom is a fire hazard. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, totally. with the safety regulations of Hogwarts, like, this place can catch fire at literally any moment. Yeah, just poof, it goes like up with, in smoke. Especially with all the scarves over the lamps and the blinds are shut and there's a fireplace going down. Like, I'm surprised nothing happened. Dusty feathers, stubs of candles, playing cards. Yeah. yeah. But it's totally. playing into the, the trope of the mad woman in the attic as well. Oh, totally. That's, yeah, it's perfect for Trelawney. Yeah, perfect. Um, So then she starts into class, you know, by saying how nice to see you in the physical world at last. (laughs) I'm no Michael. Sorry, that's not a very good voice. (laughs) (laughs) And um, to, you know, to kind of introduce herself to the class and whatever, she starts giving out kind of predictions. She'll kind of look at somebody and talk. And so I was wondering... 
did any of them actually come true? I made a list. So she meant ask Neville if his grandmother is well. She obviously is well because we never hear about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. She mentions to Parvati to beware of a redheaded man. Is that foreshadowing Goblet of Fire Yule Ball experiences? I don't know. That's Pavati's the only thing. I- with it Harry wasn't Parvati. It was Padma. It's Padma. Oh, I know. Yeah. But maybe it's just like for her overall twin. Like you guys aren't going to like this one. Well... <laughs> Kind of, but it was technically Padma. We'll have well, to look out for Trelawney's something that Ron does in this book, I think. Tra- yeah. Trelawney's a little off, so you never know it could be for her twin. <laughs> right. And then it says that class was, um, she predicts that class will be interrupted in February due to a nasty bout of the flu. And that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. So. And then around Easter, one of our number will leave us forever. Hermione. Right. Hermione. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so she she talks to, um, she asks Lavender to give her the giant silver teapot. And she gives it to her and, and she says, incidentally, the thing you're dreading, it will happen on Friday the 16th of October. And obviously, Lav- Lavender is not dreading her rabbit's going to die. So what was Trelawney predicting? Or rather, what was her Lavender really dreading? What do we think? Hmm. Could it have been it, something it, to do it, with it, Ron? We're on the assumption that Trelawney is correct, that she's dreading something. That's just the wording, I think. That's the the typical idea with um, general kind of predictions, even in the muggle, muggle world, is that it's all about the wording. You can um, trick anyone into believing something is true by just wording it correctly. So if, if anything bad happened that day, that would become the thing that Lavender was dreading. Um, I don't think there was necessarily anything else that she was really dreading. Yeah, I didn't think so either. Um, and then we get the bit where she talks to Neville about, after you've broken your first cup, um, please take one of the blue, because I like the pink. And here, I was wondering, do we think that she actually saw Neville breaking the cup? Or was she reading his personality? Because Neville, I feel like, gives off these vibes of um, a Neville's little... clumsy. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little unorganized, a little... Yeah. She's definitely reading his personality because, as we know, she only has a few true visions. I feel like the rest is just coincidence. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. Yeah. I wonder if she's talked to any of the other professors as well about her class so she would get a little bit of inside information about them beforehand. Probably. Oh, that's possible. Very possible. Um, so then they start with reading the tea leaves, which is the first thing that they do in the book, um, from the book Unfogging the Future. And they start looking through the book and reading what they think they see in the tea leaves. And Harry sees an acorn in Ron's cup and says that it's a windfall of unexpected gold. And I thought this was great shadowing, again, kind of to end of book four, beginning of book five, because it does happen to a Weasley, just sadly not Ron. Now, when Ron's reading Harry's, is it Ron reading Harry's cup and he talks about the you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just thinking that was interesting, even because Ron's obviously not a seer, but Harry does suffer at the end of the book, but he's happy about it because he gets a godfather out of it. Right. Yeah. That's very the, true. Is that line in the book or is it just in the yep. movie? No, no it's, it's in, in the, the book. It's in the movie. Well, I, found I mean, really in interesting the book, <laughs> was that the, if you read each of their predictions as talking about themselves rather than the others, it becomes yes. even more kind of useful. So the windfall of unexpected gold would be. Harry in Goblet of Fire and suffering but being happy about it could be anything that Ron does really. He suffers all the time but ultimately ends up happy. 
And Ron even says, um, it says Ron peered into Harry's teacup and there's a blob that looks like a bowler hat. So maybe you're going to work for the Ministry of Magic. And that happens. Right, totally happens. Right. So true. So I just, I, I love this chapter for all these little bits that come true at some point, you know, throughout. So, and then, um, it was Professor Trelawney who looks into Harry's cup and starts rotating it. And she says, a falcon. Oh, my dear, you have a deadly enemy. And Hermione's like, "Uh, duh, everyone knows that. (laughs) And, um, this kind of sets off Hermione's, I feel like, dislike towards Trelawney. So what do we think it is about her that she truly detests? I mean, it can't just be because the books aren't able to help in class. Like, there has to be some sort of thing that's rubbing her the wrong way. I Hermione think- is intensely logical and there is no logic to divination. Yeah, but it has to be more than just that. And isn't there some form of logic to divination because aren't they going off of years of research of symbols appearing to look like something and then that something reflects a certain prophecy? That make that that's logical. Ten years just, of research. <laughs> I'm confused as to why divination is actually a course for students because like Trelawney says, like unless you really have the gift, like it's kind of useless for you. And you know, true seers are so rare. So it's interesting that it's one of the things you can take especially with a class out of say 30 kids it's kind of useless for everyone i think hermione's kind of saying that and since trelawney is kind of playing to the stereotype of this all mystic seer and hermione's kind of seeing right through that since trelawney's the stereotype i think that's where the real detest comes from because hermione's not a seer she knows the class is kind of useless and she gets a feeling that trelawney might be faking it we see that dumbledore was considering stopping the practice of divination within hogwarts um until he had this interview with trelawney and she gave that um the real prophecy at which point Mm -hmm. he changed his mind and said maybe divination has its perks you know um i guess you'd have to continue the classes in case you did find a true seer because that person would need nurturing um yes but yeah it's a difficult one So she continues to look further into Harry's cup. She says, oh, my dear boy, my poor dear boy, you have the grim. And uh, for the the first time, Harry actually seems like visibly nervous about dying because everyone starts talking about it, you know, uh, saying that it's an omen of death. And then I don't think it looks like the grim and uh, it looks like a donkey from here. And he actually kind of blows up. And he says, when you've all finished deciding about whether I'm going to die or not, I just thought it was odd that he chooses now to be I think nervous it's because about dying. he's already seen the Grimm. Yeah, it's like a confirmation of everything that he's been seeing the past like few days or weeks. Uh-huh. He's already oh. got that inherent fear of that dog that he saw in uh, Little Winging and also the, um, the connection to the book Death Omens that he's made yeah. in Diagon Alley. Exactly. It's also interesting, the teacup has one, the falcon, which is the deadly enemy, and mm-hmm. that's true about um, Peter and Voldemort. The club, which is an attack, and that happens at the end of the book. Skull, mm-hmm. danger in your path, that happens at the end of the, well, Constantly, the whole book. Yeah. And the grim, I think that could even represent Sirius as the big black dog. Maybe it's not even yeah. the grim. Yeah, I no, think- I definitely think that's what it is, for sure. So clever, Joe. <laughs> The obligatory genius moment. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then they leave divination 
and they go down to Transfiguration. And they're all kind of sitting there, like, not really talking or answering. Nothing is impressive. Um, and Professor McGonagall is talking about the anim- Animagi. How do you guys say it? Animagi. Yeah, Animagi. I say it like that, too. Animagi. Wow, do I say everything wrong, or do you guys say everything wrong? <laughs> well, sure they're the Canadian... Canadians and British people have more of the similar inflection, so maybe that's uh, a... <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Agreed. American-British divide thing. Are we sure it's not Animaguses? No. Animagi. It's A-N-I-M-A-G-I. Because, fun fact, Animagi. it's not it's not Horcree, it's Horcruxes. Yes. But this is written as Animagi <laughs> in the books, Noah. <laughs> right. Oh, anyway... I mean, so she's wondering what's wrong with everybody, and and they just say, oh, we've had our first divination. And she goes, ah, yes, of course. Tell me which of you is going to be dying this year. And this immediately reminded me of Hermione, and I'm wondering, did they talk about this perhaps when they were talking about Hermione's schedule, and maybe McGonagall had some sort of influence on Hermione's opinion on the subject? Hmm. I don't know if McGonagall had any opinion on Hermione. I think it's just because Hermione is so incredibly book smart. She just yeah. can't really grasp the idea of like predicting the future by like looking at tea leaves. Right. Do you think, I think McGonagall and Hermione are quite similar people in that they're both very skeptical in that kind of way? So, yeah. Do you sure. think McGonagall would drop her professional manner to like slander one of her coworkers to a student? I feel like really this scene. She yeah. does, but I she feel does. like she sees so much of herself in Hermione that she would have no problem speaking the truth to her. Fair enough. Yeah. You know? But also, it kind of jumped out at me that it says she does this every year. <laughs> so, you know, her, Trelawney obviously never changes, like, her lesson plan, but in fact, isn't she kind of correct in her predictions this time around that Harry does eventually die? Something <laughs> well, does I happen. What I want to know is whether the person predicted to die the year before would have been, or however many years before, would have been Cedric. Oh, that would be so interesting. I want that piece of information. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, we are never going to know that information. So we're going to assume that yes, it was Cedric. (laughs) I assume it was Cedric. Because that's amazing. And then for like Colin Creevy's year, she could say the same thing. That's true. By the end of the book, it could be anyone from these years. We see so many people dying, unfortunately. Oh, that's, that's not so fair, sad. Everyone she said that to was eventually going to die. Because everyone Colin, dies. Colin, Neville, yeah. not Neville, uh, Dennis even, creepy. Um, there's so many people that it could be each year. Oh no. Yeah. Move on quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so Ron um, obviously <coughs> believes in the Grimm, seeing as he grew up in a wizarding family and has, you know, personal experience with it. And so I feel like he's obviously scared for Harry at this point because he says, but Hermione, if Harry has seen a Grimm, that, that's bad. My Uncle Billy has saw one and he died 24 hours later. And Hermione's just not at all buying it. Obviously, this, again, goes into her logical side and whatever. But do we really think that Ron believes in the Grimm? Is he scared for Harry's life? I think most wizarding families kind of do believe in those legends and mythical creatures so i feel like raised in the weasley family and after what happened to good old uncle bilius i feel like ron genuinely is afraid that's true because ron is somewhat uh, superstitious yeah serious yeah. because of his raising so that makes sense that's true okay and so they already know to be afraid because of serious so right 
nothing else too exciting actually happens in that class. So we go to our third class of this chapter, which is Hagrid's first lesson. And uh, we get this great little moment where everyone's like, um, how do we open our books? And, <laughs> and Hagrid feels all sad about it. He goes, I thought they were funny. <laughs> I think they're funny. But I never had never my hand had to bit. handle one. <laughs> I was going to say I've never had my hand bit by a book. Rosie, That's true. Have, what if it you attacks your cats? How would Rosie, you like the book then? I would love it then. So, I mean, not too much happens in this chapter, um, in this part, in this lesson, except for, you know, uh, Malfoy getting attacked. But I found that Buckbeak really finds trust in Harry very quickly. I feel like this is one of those things that people trust Harry kind of innately. I feel like. And does this perhaps help later when they rescue him and then eventually send him off into the wild with Sirius? Like, if he didn't have this connection, would they have been able to save him? Oh, so are you asking that maybe um, Buckbeak trusts Sirius so innately because Harry yes. trusts Sirius? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That makes sense. I think they're ultimately both good, the good people as well, though. Yeah. Sirius is actually a good person that, like... I mean, Buckbeak won't know about Sirius's supposed misdemeanors he's just going to be kind of treating him as the person that is put in front of him so if if Sirius is as kind of deferential as he should be to a to a hippogriff then he'll be fine oh okay <laughs> and then there was just uh one last little bit that i found on page 120 of the u.s edition it says Sirius black hasn't gotten past the dementors yet has he and I just thought it was a great bit of foreshadowing because they were talking about going down to visit Hagrid's and walking on the grounds and whatever. So, so he may be there already watching them. He might be. And we know <laughs> that he obviously gets through later. So yeah. I just thought it was a great little bit. So nothing too exciting in that chapter, but still a very uh, packed chapter. Now, would you like to know the difference between why um, Horcruxes is Horcruxes and Anime Guy is Anime Guy? Yes. Because I can tell you. Okay, Animagus, Animagi, oh, is a second declension masculine noun in Latin. So it, its plural form is the I form, whereas um, Horcrux would be a third declension masculine noun, um, which has the plural form of ES instead of I. So there you go. Wow, such a scholarly <laughs> answer. <laughs> yep, I don't really know what you said, but it sounds like the truth. <laughs> so I There is a technical it. reason why they are different. And that was it, but you don't understand it. <laughs> no, but that, that's, I, that's cool. I wonder if Joanne knows that. Yeah, she sure would have she done does. when she wrote it. I'm sure, but yeah. She would have been creating these words, so she would have chosen what sounds best, but following those Latin rules. So I could even decline the rest of it for you and tell you what it would mean if you were talking about of anime guy and to anime guy and all of these kind of things. They all have different <laughs> endings. <laughs> D despite all that, though, I kind of wish they were Horkry in the world because they sound adorable. You know, <laughs> terrible, but adorable. They do sound terrible. Did and you guys not know adorable. that you can actually get Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets in Latin? It's been translated. I didn't know that. That's I, crazy. I saw that somewhere it's cool. Online. Do you have so, yeah, it? I, I own Philosopher's Stone, but I don't own Chamber of Secrets yet. I wonder what their sales are on those two volumes. I can't imagine it's very high. They haven't translated the rest of them. It's only those first two, but it's quite interesting. All right, so now you should do a you should do an app feature on that, Rosie. That would be so cool. Just maybe, saying. <laughs> maybe you should so, do an audio book. <laughs> oh my god! So now 
we can move into our special feature discussion. The Unspeakables. Welcome, visitor, to the Ministry of Magic. You have reached level 9, Department of Mysteries. Please refrain from engaging the Unspeakables in conversation and attempting to access restricted areas. Have a magical day. All about Dementors. Um, we've been talking a lot about Dementors on the show already, um, but user Have a Biscuit Potter, which is a great username, by the way, is pointing to some interesting questions about Dementors because there are several references to the fact that the Dementors can talk to people because they've been apparently been talking to the guards because they told. Well, let me just let me just read the whole um, comment here from Have a Biscuit Potter. When Mister and Missus Weasley are arguing, Arthur says that the Askman guards told Fudge that Sirius had been talking in his sleep. How did they manage that? A couple of other times in the book, characters are mentioned to talk to the Dementors, and I've always been very curious as to how that would work. From the descriptions of Dementors, it seems unlikely that they could ever talk, that they could even talk. Just my inference, though. I wish Joe would clear this up, or Joanne, as our uh, our lady guest would uh, suggest. So, to throw it to you guys, um, Dementors can talk. Does this mean that they can also sing? Does it mean that <laughs> they have their own conversations with each other? You know, they're playing cards around the... Uh, Azkaban prison, their own culture or language. No, uh, <laughs> Laura and I were wondering if they communicate through legilimens, like a telepathic yeah. kind of way of like planting that would be like, interesting. images or thoughts into whoever they're speaking to's head. Maybe it's like sonar. <laughs> Maybe it is like, like bats? sonar. Yeah, they can sense kind of happy zones around where they can like suck, and they're like, "Yep, do you feel that? Oh, I feel that. I feel that right now." I'm going oh wait, in. wait, wait, wait! In? If it's like bats, then can they talk to Snape? Well, well, <laughs> Snape is connected to a bat, but it sounds like they can already talk to Fudge and like, you know, normal Azkaban uh, human guards. So what, they can speak English, guys. I feel like it would be a really dark conversation because you'd be next to a dementor so you'd always already be feeling like depressed and they're talking to you at the same time so i, I can't like, imagine it's verbal communication that yeah. does not make sense to me but it is yeah i would agree but it says that in the book is this an oversight or i don't know i think told could be a loose term like if if the legilimens thing is true then that can be like he told the Dementor told Fudge, but Fudge didn't necessarily hear it from the Dementor. He thought it. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, you see, I feel the movies um, kind of go into our our sort of idea of what the Dementors are, and you seem like they can't, they clearly can't talk, but we have to remember that the Dementors in the books are completely different, um, and they, I, I see them as having individual identities, and Absolutely talking, if that's what's in the book. I know there's a quote, and I'll, I will dig up the quotes if I have to for the next show, but I'm sure the fans can find them too. All right, everyone. So the Harry Potter lexicon, as we know from our friend uh, Steve Vanderark, has a whole vast section on uh, Dementors in the books. And I'm just going to read a, a few bits from the actual webpage. So Dementors, they are, according to Steve Vanderark, horrible spectral creatures hooded and robed which feed on human emotions. Dementors drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them, according to Lupin, Prisoner of Azkaban. Even before a Dementor is seen, its presence is obvious. They are surrounded by an unnatural darkness and terrible icy cold. Dementors affect even muggles, although the muggles can't see the foul black creatures. They were the guards at Azkaban and made the place horrible indeed. The Ministry used Dementors as guards in its courtrooms as well. And now here's that section about breeding, which I knew I found somewhere. Here it is. When they breed, which is a, a weird 
thought himself. They create chill mist, which permeates everything. They drain a wizard of his powers if left with them too long. A Dementor's breath sounds rattling and like it's trying to suck more than air out of the room. Its hands are glistening, grayish, slimy-looking, and scabbed. That's an exact quote. It seems to ex exude cold. A Dementor's last and worst weapon is called the Dementor's Kiss. Aw, poor Dementors just want to have a kiss. The Dementor puts back its hood and clamps its jaws on the mouth of the victim and sucks out his soul, his or her soul, leaving him an empty shell alive but completely irretrievably gone. Um, there are certain defenses one can use against Dementors, specifically the Patronus Charm, and besides those defenses, I don't believe there are any other defenses. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we got here on dementors um so uh, dementors breeding is that working like mitosis <laughs> like they just multiply i mean I, I i sort of assume that it was more of a uh, you know dementors are animals when you get down to it so it's going to probably be pretty similar to the way animals copulate oh i always just assumed it was mitosis because i don't see that's what like they seem so human-like but then they're half creature and it's strange i'm not exactly sure what they are i agree with you i think it's like mitosis i don't think they breed like animals because that requires happiness and they are nasty well i don't i, don't, <laughs> I, I would actually disagree with your claim that that act requires happiness and wouldn't they be really happy since they've been sucking out all this happiness out of people like our no, dementia. They, no. Sorry, they eat it and digest it and it out. So no, I don't think they would be super happy. Well, I would I see think that they're this not super is going to get horribly technical, but the <laughs> some of the ways like fish breed is like they send out this cloud and then like that cloud. <laughs> Just thinking about like the fact that they've been described as kind of very aquatic creatures. They're all this kind of slimy, liquidy, looking like they've been um, decaying in water. That kind of the fact that the mist is there when they um, procreate—that's important in some way. So we—I don't really want to know the mechanics of it. Um, I really want to know, <laughs> but that, that mist is a bit. Not only would I like fish. to know, Rosie, but I would like to begin an international competition for a, a quibble or some essay written uh, for one fan just exploring this concept and uh, sending it back to me in an email at noahstaff.mugglenut.com. How do dementors breed? How do you think it happens? Um, and, uh, you know, go in depth, like we'll write an essay about it. I'll post it on MuggleNet and we will solve this question at least for now. <laughs> so, so that is, that okay. is Noah's open challenge of the day. Um, but this is not a, this is not a fan art competition. I do. I don't want to see fan art of, of uh, oh. anything close to this. Oh my God. So, you know, I have to balance fan art versus editorials, which in this case, it is definitely an editorial that would be better suited for how they copulate. So... Also on this page, uh, on Steve Vanderark's website, the Harry Potter Lexicon, it's awesome. Um, Jake, there's a great quote, quote from J.K. Rowling about why the Dementors connect with depression. So here's the exact quote. It was entirely conscious, uh, the connection between Dementors and depression, and entirely from my own experience. Depression is the most unpleasant thing I've ever experienced. It is that absence of being able to envisage... Is that the right phrasing of the word? Envisage? Envisage? Anyway, that you will ever be Envisage. cheerful again. Envisage. The absence of hope, that very deadened feeling, which is so very different from feeling sad. Sad hurts, but it's a healthy feeling. It's a necessary thing to feel. Depression is very different, you know, and the implication is feeling nothing. Okay, so that is taken from The Times UK on the 30th, 30th of June 2000. Awesome. Um, so what do you guys think of that? 
I mean, I guess it's kind of all out there in a way. Yeah, I think it's just Joanne putting a lot of herself in the book. I remember watching a documentary on the BBC with her actually in it. And she's just like, yeah, it was a really bad time in my life. So the Dementors are just like my sadness. And she says that in that quote that Noah just read. And so I feel like it's just a lot of Joanne thrown in there. Because isn't this the book where she wanted to like kill off Ron Weasley? Whoa, that early? Because she was so depressed, because I remember watching this BBC documentary, and she being like, yeah, it was just a really dark time. And me being like, well, that's kind of (laughs) drastic for a really dark time. (laughs) Yeah, Ron's got to watch his back, because Joanne's coming with a hacksaw, and she's really sad. Depressed, rather. (laughs) Um, It was a really interesting documentary. Okay, but... I believe that about ends our special feature section, a lot on Dementors. If you want to comment any more about them, head over to the forums on the Alohomora website. Uh, We'll tell you exactly how to get there shortly. All right, so everybody, here is the podcast question of the week for this week. Um, Again, you can respond to this question directly on the main page of the Alohomora section. Um, So we have just been, in these last two chapters, introduced to Professor Lupin. Um, um, And again, there was some speculation as to how he got his role at Hogwarts. um, Because it seems like... Based on his briefcase, he's been teaching for a little while now, but it's this is all, it's always been kind of ambiguous what sort of qualifications one needs to teach at Hogwarts. So that is our question for all of you: um, what sort of standards or qualifications do you need to teach at Hogwarts? And specifically with Professor Lupin, let's. Uh, I mean, we hope that we get some more information on the next few chapters of Pottermore on him. Um, but if you could just write now, sort of speculate about it. Where, what did he do after Hogwarts? Um, where does he come from? And if he was indeed teaching, where did he teach? Was it in a muggle school? Was it in a different wizarding school? That's the question, and we will res- reply to some of the, your responses on the next episode of Alohomora. And we just want to take a moment to thank our special guests this week, Alex and Laura. Again, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I hope you had fun. Oh, we had a great time. Yeah. Thank you lo- so much. We'd love to come back. This was a lot of fun. Cool. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> It was nice meeting all you guys. You seem awesome. No, you too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. If you're ever in the Toronto area, let us know. You know. We'll hit you up. That's right. We'll hit okay. you up. <laughs> um, and remember, if you want to be on the Alohomora podcast and you're a listening guest, all you have to do is email a clip of yourself analyzing the books to alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. It's important that that audio file is, uh, it, it sounds good. You have to have appropriate audio recording equipment so that you can be on the podcast with us. Um, and another way you can get noticed on the site, especially by us hosts, is if you submit content of any kind to the Lohomore website, um, especially commenting in the forums. Um, we're on there a lot of the times ourselves commenting back. Absolutely. And if in the meantime you just want to stay in contact uh, with us, you can follow us on Twitter at LohomoraMN, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore, and give us a call. Leave us a voicemail, 206 Go Albus. That's 206 206- Four six two five two eight seven, and of course our website again is alohomora.mugglenet.com and our email alohomorapodcast at gmail.com and also don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review um, not only does that you know help us bring you better shows more often but you know that helps us get better so leave them please yep 
And we also have our fantastic store where you can get all of the Alohomora merchandise that you could ever want, including all of our t-shirts at the moment, um, which currently only have our logo on them, but hopefully very, 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 very soon we should have Desk Pig merchandise, we should have Wizard Werewolf Unicorn or Basilisk Wizard Phoenix merchandise, and so much more. And that's going to be iPhone cases, um, tote bags, water bottles, anything you can think of, really. Um, and also don't forget our app, which is available in the US on iPhone and Android and in the UK for iPhone only and that's $1.99 or 99 pence and that's got transcripts, bloopers, alternative endings, post vlogs and much much more and it will have much much more on it very very soon so definitely go and check it out. And just mentioning that app we just added a forum a special forum for app listeners only on our forums Um, and you need a special password to get into it there's exclusive content on the app and exclusive discussions happening on the forums so you don't want to miss out on that thousands of you have already downloaded the app and so why not join in that conversation so head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com for information on how you can download that yeah and I just put a host vlog on there so you did download it so you can see me that's right. <laughs> um, that about wraps up our episode today, episode 22. Thank you to the guests. I am Noah Freed. I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 22 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Rosie, I can't hear you. Oh, no. 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 Everyone dropped. It's... No. No, no, they really did. It's just me. Oh, they're calling back. Oh, man. Are you guys okay? Can you guys hear me? Wait, somebody please answer. I didn't do anything. It just stopped working. Why can't you... It shows your faces there. Why can't you hear me? No. It's a it's a facade. You're not really there. I Cat can hear everyone. Can't. I can't hear We're not connected. anyone, but no one can hear me. Yes. I can't. Rosie can't hear a thing. And I'm Sorry, just scared Sorry, editors, we're now. having some technical difficulties. <sighs> Don't stop recording. We are still okay. recording if you I can hear not. us. But this is troublesome. This is very, very troublesome. But it does give me time to reflect on the, oh the branches of the trees. I can't type for my life. They're beautiful today. Well, we're still here. Such a great day. And see, the time can't talk on a lot more about how great a day up. it is. But it's just, what are we, where are you talking, we're talking where about? Because we're talking about fictional up? days. When you open right there. But what about, what about right now? What yeah, about the day minutes. that is today? No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's recording. In which right we record now. this beautiful day. When I finish this episode, I will walk out into the snow, barefooted. Not barefooted. I will. Uh, I'll wear shoes, and I'll just immerse myself. Immerse That's myself. That's so weird. It, like I'm not the even hearing. Oh, Snow. <laughs> not even hearing static. What Snow was saying. 
Put some damn shoes on, Noah. Oh. Oh, man. Oh, there we go. Cat. Oh, I hear it. We're back. <laughs> that was weird. Wait, could that anyone hear weird. what I was saying? No. no. In the meantime, would anyone like to join me in a song? What? In the meantime, would anyone like to join me in a Harry Potter song? No. Y- you take it. <laughs> okay, so just join in. Do, 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 do. Do 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 do. No one's doing it. Do, do, do. I was I was trying to harmonize there. Do, do, do. Uh, okay. Do 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 You ba- you basically sound like John Williams. So like, good for you. Really, <laughs> me? Ah, uh, you guys. He can do that much better than I can. Ah. <laughs> uh.